I sense a soul in search of answers. Hello and welcome to episode 263 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 21st of November. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Again, hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. The soundtrack continues deep into the podcast itself. <laughs> and resonant within. Mm. Uh, not a load of news this week from us because, uh, who cares about news? Who cares about the news? Well, the news this week is all just sort of Fallout stuff, right? None of us have played it. Fallout of the Fallout, Fallout of other games. Mm. Nah. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we should, we should rock it on to what we've been playing, because mm. I think we've all been playing some pretty new stuff. Well, I've been playing something I've been playing for ages, but it's new this week. So, where should we start? Alex? Yeah? Do you want to tell me about the Omnissiah? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I've been playing Walmart Hammer 40k. Mechanicus, mm. Mm. which, um, uh, I didn't really, I don't even know why I decided I wanted to play that. I kind of saw it come up in the rock paper shotgun post. I was not aware of it before then. I don't really know why it piqued my interest, but I got it and I played it and it's a very, very neat little, uh, 10 based strategy. Um, mm. a very contained e- economical, Fun, snappy, uh, style, turn-based, uh, um, strategy game. So when you say turn-based, do you mean in the XCOM kind of context or the- Kind of. Well, not even like that really. So, uh, it's set in amongst the, uh, Adepticus Mechanicus faction of, uh, Warhammer 40k, um, and you're up against the Necron. So it's basically just cyborgs- one the, Just one big Necron. Versus skeletal robots. Mm. So it's all mechanicals all around really. Um, uh and uh the the strategy is really neat like i was very surprised that it that it's a very simple system so you have a small number of units on the board uh when it's their units turn to have a go uh each of the units comes up in in order unit order not in side order so you Mm. get to play in turn with your units. Does that make sense? Uh, I think I did with the sense. Don't analyze the words. <laughs> just go with what you sense from what I was trying to I say. I think there. the turns were nice. That's what the I was saying. The turns getting. were nice, yeah. Uh, and um, you have a movement and you can make an action, generally. Mm. But it has a really neat little system called cognition in it. So the Adepticus Mechanicus are all about knowledge. They're a faction that kind of, the, that kind of, tries to discover new technologies and absorbs them and uses them. So this, the game uses that theme as them absorbing information and then being able to use it to make extra moves. Uh, so you start the game with, I think, four or five potential uh, cognition points and you pick up cognition points for various things. Um, you can get them for having one of your uh, servitor units hit by the enemy which is really weird as in it gets hit <laughs> yep if if the enemy hits one of your servitors which are kind of like a trash mob of yours they do they're, they're cannon fodder they're very weak 
they have a melee hit. Um, uh, if they get hit, they generate a point because, because through analyzing <laughs> the hits that they received, <laughs> learned a lot. They gain information and then they go, yes, in that case, I can fire my gun <laughs> in a way that I couldn't before. Um, and these, the, these points are kind of, um, consistent across, you know, like, for you, you, the player, like you can spend them in the way you like across your different units. Right. Um, uh, other ways you can earn them. There's a skill that one of the, uh, that you can give, let them learn, which allows them to earn a point at the start of their match, uh, as part of their turn. And there are also obelisks in the level where when you stand next to it, they'll put out their hand, look at the, like the obelisks sort of hieroglyphs and, get inspired to shoot their rifle <laughs> the weapons uh have different yeah, it happens in 2001 doesn't it <laughs> yeah, pretty much yeah <laughs> the weapons cost different amounts so there is a um there's a sort of a, a melee kind of axe thing staff axe thing which costs one cognition to fire but one of the other starting weapons is a pistol that costs nothing to fire you can only mm. fire it once in a turn could only fire, fire all weapons at once in a turn and you have various other items you can over the course like you're sending these units uh across the campaign over and over into into levels and you level them up and you can give them equipment and so they kind of reflect they slowly get more and more complex and you can fit them out with better and better stuff but but the the i love the cognition uh, sort of system because it makes fights really dynamic the first match i played was really I was going in with kind of quite sort of um lumpy old style like almost advanced wars style kind of mm. um mindset really I was expecting to kind of make a turn you know make a move and and then attack uh that's not the way to think about it because you always have cognition points and your movement is really slick so you you can move to a point you can fire if you've got movement points left you can move again mm. so you can move out into danger and then back in into cover. I should say that there isn't cover isn't a big thing in this game. There are some elements of kind of uh, environment which which do cover you, but there isn't a cover mechanic at mm. all. Like some things will occlude you. That's about it. Um, uh, so uh, and the enemy hit you fucking hard, and your characters are pretty squishy. So you're using servitors to kind of distract and get in the way there's a mechanic where um it's kind of opportunity thing where if you if an enemy unit moves into melee range of one of yours you get a free hit on them um right there's no chance in terms of whether you'll hit or not um, but there is chance in terms of how much damage you'll do um and there's loads of kind of layers of kind of energy armor and stuff like that Mm. but it means that the battles are really really dynamic like very that you can feel on the edge of kind of failing and you feel really smart when you figure out the little puzzle that kind of gets you out of it. Mm. But it's, but for me, we've, we've had this conversation before Tom, where like I talk, I kind of relished the more fuzzy sort of, um, sort of situations like that. I don't know. I really couldn't say at this point, I probably paid it for about two or three hours. I couldn't say how rigorous it is (laughs) as a strategy, like as in like how much thought you can put into it and how, finely balanced it is mm. i couldn't tell you but i love the fuzziness of kind of working like skin of teeth kind of you know yeah it's mm. good to hear that it has that kind of dynamic feel to it because i've i've always assumed that's the reason or the, the reason the XCOM doesn't do certain hits with variable damage is that they feel like it's too predictable it's kind of too uh you know 
guaranteed if you will always do at least one damage if you're at this range or whatever um and that lets you that gives fights a kind of like preordained feel like yeah. oh, i was always gonna i was always gonna win this turn because of this whereas with the percentage chance it's all kind of up in the air and anything could happen and uh my guess is that they feel that leads to like bigger highs and lows mm. um and i would have thought that one disadvantage of getting rid of that would be yeah that it was too predictable that you you always knew who was going to win but it's good that it doesn't feel like that yeah i mean the the enemies like they, it does a, a there's a lot of kind of enemies coming into play like like you you have maybe two necrons on the board and then it's like the the round ends and then another one will turn up All right. so so that you know that will you're always on your toes and you're always ready for something there are points at which you can probably assume they're going to come from but they're they'll be switched they'll be around the 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 kind of the play area so you don't you can't really cover them or make any guarantees as where they're coming there's also like a time based uh um system where uh there's a ticker a time ticker up in the left corner and as that sort of fill that gauge fills up more stuff comes in so more necron appear or um and, and various other things. So this, the, 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 the tactical side, uh, fits into a campaign where effectively you're up on, in, safely in a spaceship. You're all tech priests up in a space, spaceship, magi. That's where you are. Mm-hmm. You're magi up in a spaceship. Um, of various types. There's one, the, the writing is good as well. Um, the, there's one who kind of speaks in programming language because mm-hmm. he's removed almost all of his humanity. <laughs> There's the leader of them who absolutely hates anything Xenos and wants to purify everything. Um, and he's kind of, kind of sequestered away his emotions into a little thing. And he sort of, he just <laughs> says, uh, my emotional senses are telling me that I'm upset that all your character, all your <laughs> characters died. <laughs> and he's kind of stern and gets that grumpy when you, when you kind of, um, when you study, uh, um, Necron technology you know too, <laughs> yeah too yeah that, that is heresy and so. then, yeah there's a like that's all fits into the story like there is a great schism within the depth of this mechanicus between you know do they go for unfettered kind of uh technological um research from all xenos or do they actually hate them the xenos for being impure and stuff mm. so it's quite it's quite a nice little thing uh but anyway the, they're on this ship and your view of the of the of the levels is actually like being generated for you and you've got a few kind of tech priests lower kinds that actually on the field for you down there um but um uh they're exploring tombs and you're sort of initially you're moving them between rooms um on a kind of like a zoomed out sort of map mm. And then every time you go into a room, there'll be an event. And this is like the one thing I don't really like about it, which is that, um, as you go into rooms, almost, you always, always know where the fights are going to be because they'll have little red kind of, um, little, uh, characters sort of sitting them like hologra- hologra- holograph, hologram, <laughs> hologram style, ca- um, figures standing in them. And then the, the objects, the way you actually end it trying to head to will have them in as well. The rest of them, will bring up a little text box that says, you found some ancient hieroglyphs, but, but the Necron are coming. Do you study them carefully? Do you destroy them all? Or do you quickly take a picture of them? You know, and you choose one of them. And it's kind of like some of them will give you a bonus kind of currency thing you can use to level up with, or it might damage one of your characters or all of your characters or it might tip turn up the ticker the time ticker that also runs when you're in a tactical 
um, mm. fighting combat. Um, so when you, you're often inheriting decisions you came with before in terms of how, how hard the combat is because you spent more time exploring beforehand. Mm. I don't like the, the, the multiple choice things because like, how, I don't fucking know which one's the best one. <laughs> how do you feel about those? Cause I feel like FDL has that and Slay the Spire has that as well. Uh, how do you feel about how they worked in those games? I think I, I liked, I didn't mind them in them because, uh, what Slay the Spire only had two choices usually? Was it, uh, it varies a lot. Slay the Spire, I feel like is the best example of those like, because they're always, uh, I don't know, they're always very specific. So there's one like you just fall down a hole and you, you could, there are three different ways you can save yourself. And it picks a card from your deck that's a power and says you can use that and picks a card from your deck and says that there's an attack and one that's a skill. And by using that to, uh, save yourself, you take it out of your deck. And it, I think it intentionally picks your best one, like your rarest card of that kind. So mm. it's usually three things you want, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, actually, I kind of wanted to get rid of that anyway. And so there's lots of stuff like that where it kind of, how good or bad this is depends on uh what you're going for with your deck and everything feeds into everything else right. so it's always kind of different every so time. that's good because it's playing on on you know it's playing on stuff that you you're, you're planning around what you want and you know yeah. what you're risking what you might want to keep um and this is just all hidden is three choices and behind one of them will be a good thing well perhaps all three are pretty bad and um, but there's one particularly bad you know and like i couldn't say some mm. it's so, Maybe there is more reason to it than I've kind of divined so far. Maybe, you know, if your, your mission is from one of the characters that likes to study the, the robotic guy that kind of likes to study the Xenos technology, then maybe I'm meant to choose the choices that involve kind of spending a bit more time. But like, it's a bit kind of like, uh, mm. and you can some, sometimes tell, oh, that if, if it's sticking behind to spend more time studying them, maybe that will tick, tick the time, the time will go up further. But, uh, like I, you know, from the, the tactical side is quite exacting. I don't, you know, as I said before, I don't know how, how exacting it is really, but it's fun, but it, you know, and demanding. This is like a bit arbitrary, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, oh, then one more shout out actually for the music, which is fucking great. <laughs> it's like very, mechanical it's like thomas tallis kind of style kind of um canticles of you know medieval canticles monks singing over industrial kind of electronica and it's it's extremely good nice but um yeah it's a uh, what is the name of the game in warhammer 40k mechanicus okay yeah and this is there was because there was like a 4x game recently in the warhammer that was right? um yeah. gladius Right. Yeah. <laughs> also involved Necrons. But yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been picturing in my head the whole time you've been talking. And it's only just occurred to me that this might be two different games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very different games. It's I think this is why I'm wondering why I was so interested in this because, because it, it is very hard to tell. Even the action games, they all do. <laughs> I actually come, did for come, a while have this one mixed one up with Inquisitor because <laughs> that's a lot closer because Inquisitor is the, that's the it's Diablo-y the Diablo-y one, one yeah. but obviously oh, Diablo right. and, you know, Diablo and, and turn-based strategy, squad strategy are approximately the same camera angle and <laughs> level of detail, right? So yeah. I did have them. Those are the two 40k ones of those. There's also a, there's a recent Space Hulk one, wasn't there? There was a recent Space Hulk, which is also in the same territory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you have, you kind of spoil for choice with 40k turn-based strategy. I know they're so. getting like the new Space Hulk I thought was pretty good as well. I didn't play it that much. It's very much, a, isn't it very much an adaptation of the tabletop game? 
yeah, very much so. And, and it's basically v- very similar to the previous ones, where but tighter. You know, mm. I think I played the first one of the new uh, Space Hulk. Like I don't know, I can't remember the developer now, but a couple of years ago maybe. Mm. And um, and he was oh, it's so lumpen to to play. Um, it all feels much more snappy, but also you have you get to play as the um, Tyranids. Mm, cool, yeah. Anyway, but but they're both good games, you know, in a way that Warhammer Forty K has kind of had some questionable games. They're all just so hit and miss. That's the thing. Like, there's there's been plenty of good ones as well. It's just there's so many of them that although I suppose there haven't been really that many flat out like absolutely great Forty K games. Whereas I'd say that I think Total War Warhammer is yeah. genuinely very good. Yeah. Like without They've that kind of compromise. Thrown, thr- yeah. And without compromise kind of games. I mean, you know, Mechanicus is compromised, but in the sense that it's clearly made by a really small team, but they've invested their resources in the best places. Like they got a really good soundtrack. They put everything into the strategy. Um, the writing mm. is good, but like it's all text and, you know, you know, it, They've been very economical. It's yeah. a it's a very contained game, but like I I can see myself playing it a lot actually. That's cool. Yeah, I'd like to play it actually. Now that it comes with that recommendation. Yeah, and it's nice that you know I think the the license is so played, but it's nice that people feel that they can they no longer if you're making a 140k game, it doesn't have to be a Space Marine game. Yeah, like because the Adeptus Mechanicus is kind of like a cool. And they're really fun. Like, yeah, they're very fun sort of side because, it, because it's able to start with kind of like the introductory movie kind of has sort of this sort of robotic voice is talking about kind of how he said goodbye to his flesh <laughs> and welcomed the steel of machines, which the purity and your flesh is weak. And I guess like it's really having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, they're just the tech startup bros of <laughs> That's the thing is that they're powered by big data. And the answer to everything is like, add another skull with a computer in it to your body. <laughs> We've built a very small submarine. It doesn't help at all. <laughs> and like, there's loads of room for sort of interpret, like, you know, sort of, you can just, you can just, treat everybody as kind of all your characters as just you know fodder as mm. well which is you know nice little thing yeah it's not going to be the XCOM game where you get really attached to your individual Skitari <laughs> well, or something well yeah the Skitari you do like right. you just get rid of them that's fine but the old tech priests that you take in there are, so far there has been one mission where I've earned one so right. you started with two now I have three if one dies then they got gone for good with all of the all of the resources I put into them. Uh, and I should say that as that time ticker goes on in the mission that you've taken into the tombs, mm. when that mission is over and you succeeded, you go back to the ship and then that, that number is then added to a percentage gauge, which is towards how, how aware the Necron are of you and kind of it's the end of the game. So, right. so the longer you take in all things, it all kind of adds up to your kind of overall it's not completion, like Doomsday. Mm, the counter. Tomb Awakens kind of thing. Yeah, Tombsday. Tombsday. <laughs> oh, God. It's Tombsday. That's what Tuesday originally means. <laughs> Speaking of tombs, how have you set up your tomb for playing artifacts? Oh, that doesn't make <laughs> any sense at all, Alex. I go think for I was it. thinking, what I was going for there was... <laughs> Let's that unpack this You're segment. playing a lot. Yeah. You might die... 
Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I get, I get that a tomb is somewhere you reside for a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, probably not the greatest segue in the history of this podcast, but a worthy effort. And I appreciate you attempting. Thank you. So, Thank you. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> some artifacts are in tombs. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you find an artifact in a tomb. You could have gone with that. Yeah. Um, a, a, t- a tomb is somewhere you go that follows your dotage. And this is the. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Surely there's a Dota hero with tomb in the name. Yeah. Uh, tomb, well, tomb Lord. Is there a skeletal one? Dark Tomb Lord. Undying's, be a Dota Undying's uh, E ability is Tombstone, so that, that would do it. <laughs> I mean, this gets richer and richer. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, almost all words are in almost all games. So, <laughs> you know, I, you could have said, you know, Tom, you've been playing Hitman. You've been interring people in various places of permanent rest. There's, there's I a strong pretty, connection between two. I'm pretty sure, yeah, you, there is a, there are at least one level where you go into a tomb. Yeah. I, w- I would not be surprised if you can push someone into a tomb to kill mm. them. Uh, so, uh, but yes, no, to answer your question, Alex, I think, um, <laughs> yes. So, um, my, my internment in artifacts is, is ongoing. So, um, I can talk about artifact now, but I haven't been able to talk about artifact for a while, but as of today, I have now played 90 hours of artifact. Holy and, shit. Uh, yeah. And it, it came out on, Sunday night into public beta, but I've had it for a little bit longer than that. And, um, so I played a lot of it and I've had, uh, and I, I think at the, I was, uh, and am, um, a bit in love with it as a bit of game design. So I want to talk about that first because, um, I'm really aware that if I had been able to talk about it last week, I probably would have said a very different set of things hmm. or like I'd be a very different place emotionally with it. And so, um, so this, if, if you're not aware, is the Dota 2 card game. It's Valve's first game in quite a few years, um, until it's Dota 2, I think. So, which was five years ago now. So, um, and it is made in conjunction with Richard Garfield and Scaff Elias, who are both pretty integral to, well, obviously integral to Magic the Gathering and its subsequent competitive scene. And, um, and, and it is also a Dota tie-in in a bunch of ways. So it's, it's about as like up my alley as you can get. And so I've had the experience for about a month now, uh, or more of, um, of learning to play the game in, in, in a very specific circumstance. In a, in a specific circumstance, I think it's given me a really good appreciation for its design. Um, in a closed beta environment, designed to test the balance of the game where every card is available and the only people to play against are 300 professional mm-hmm. card game players. So, so scratching out about a 50% win rate in that environment was really satisfying. Since then, obviously, it's now in public beta, and it's more or less in its in its release form. I suspect it will continue to change a lot. Um, but before I get into the way my feelings have changed slightly, I'd like to talk about why it's so good, because I think that's the thing that's probably the most important thing at the end of the day, and why it's such a beautiful design card game. Like, I feel now that I will still say I think it's the best card game I've ever played in any medium, um, including physical card games. Um, I And I... Uh, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. And also it's, it's, it's interesting because it could only really have been done dig- digitally. And as far as I'm aware, the genesis of the game is, is not Valve saying, as some people might cynically believe, how do we cash in more on Dota? It is Richard Garfield going to Valve and saying, I want to make this game, but I couldn't make it in real life. And the fact that there are things about it that map cleanly onto Dota, um, is a kind of a nice bit of simpatico. And clearly a benefit from a business point of view, but rather than it being just sort of the race on detra for the, for the whole thing. Um, I've seen people making fun of how complicated it is, and it is. It, that is the other way in which it's a Dota card game, is it's, it's it, a little bit Calvin Ball, but <laughs> basically, so the way, what it is, is it's a, uh, 
sort of Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone style card game that takes place across three simultaneous games or boards or lanes, if you will. And um, play proceeds from kind of left to right. You have one hand of cards that you, you top up at the start of the turn, um, but each lane has its own mana pool, uh, which is based on the tower in that lane. And combat is resolved in each lane or actions are resolved in each lane, almost more like a war game than a lot of card games. It's sort of I go, you go kind of thing. So I play a card or do a thing. You play a card and do a thing. And then when we both pass, we move on to the next lane and resolve it there. And the winner is the first person to destroy two towers. And so to kind of win two lanes or to destroy the ancient that lies behind any given tower. So um, you either have to, and so I could, I really could bang on for a long time about so either divide, divide your strength across two lanes or you yeah. focus it on one lane. Right. Yeah. Like Magic the Gathering, it has kind of card colors. So there's red, blue, green, and black cards. And you, when you draft a deck, you pick, uh, you also pick five heroes, which are themselves assigned a color. You can only play a card if you have a hero of that color in that lane at that time. Heroes are kind of like big minions from other card games, except they respawn um, a turn after they die. So, um, and then they, you choose which lane they go back to. Um, you can, uh, and then you also, in bet- between each, when all three lanes are resolved in the in-between state before you go back to the first lane, you can also spend gold, which is gained from killing creeps and heroes in a shop, uh, and which sells three items every time it opens. Um, one of the items is always a consumable, picked from like a random set of, which a randomly assigned purchasable consumable, like a healing item, a teleport scroll, uh, card draw potion from a random set. One of them is always a random item from the game, just like a random item from the whole section of items in the game. And the other one is a, a random top card from an item deck that you construct on the side. So you construct two decks and a hero set. And you determine what order the heroes spawn in and all this stuff. It's, there's so much and I really could go bang on about it. <laughs> the reasons, the things to drill down on why it's so good for me is, um, it is fundamentally really, really interactive. Like I've been playing a lot of card games recently. I think I'm really into just card game design, I think. And, um, I think something I look out for is like, if it approach, I really want a card game that approaches a level of interactivity where simply planning ahead and, or having the best cards or building a deck that can execute a certain combo that will win a lot of games isn't kind of enough because there are enough moving parts that you have to be able to adapt to the situation. Um, and, um, Artifact achieves this in loads of different ways. Um, so for example, uh, oh God, there's so much to do with like, um, positioning and who attacks whom, but like at the start of every round, each player gains two regular creeps, like two regular melee creeps, but which lanes they go to is randomized. Um, so they might go to the same lane. They might go to different lanes and you can see this before you deploy your heroes, but this has a huge effect on who's going to end up attacking whom in this successive turn. It has loads of potential bearing and interaction with spells, the board state generally. And that is a one small thing that means that your plans can never be fully set because you have to account for what might happen. Um, and you can be completely screwed over by it and you can have the game saved by these sorts of elements of random chance. Um, you also have a much bigger deck um, than you can, it's minimum cards, 40 cards um, and no max. Um, and card draw effects, there's quite a lot of card draw effects, but not loads and loads and loads. And certain colors have more access to them than others, which means that in a given game, you're probably not going to see your entire deck. And that, um, is actually quite different to a lot of card games I've played recently, where the sort of assumption is that by the end, you're both kind of like only a couple of cards away from having seen every card. How many cards are in your hand? Um, you start with five, um, and you draw two a turn. 
Right. Uh, but you, um, but there's quite a lot of effects that will like empty your hand faster than you'll draw, basically. Whoop, bong, that's the whiskey o'clock bell. Um, and so those, those sorts of things help. Um, and so the reason I'm saying all this because all this has a bearing on the monetization structure of the game and the importance of, for example, rare cards, because if you have a system that actually you don't see every card in your deck every single time you play it, um, simply having a particular card isn't always going to be you know, doesn't always, always a guarantee that you'll, you'll see it in, in a match, etc. Um, there's the, the level of complexity is actually pretty staggering, I think. And at its best, it's genuinely like one of the most exciting strategy things I've ever done. Cause you like, um, there's, there's really nice things like the fact that you have three lanes and you can afford to lose in one of them. Uh, fun for me fundamentally changes how certain kinds of matchups feel. Cause within its sort of, system within its sandbox you, you definitely have the concepts of like an aggro deck or a control deck or a combo deck those things do exist like old magic the gathering kind of ideas but you when you're up against but you normally i mean and obviously decks will have what how they want to win built into them if they've been built well but the thing i really like about it is you can see that stuff coming as, as soon as your opponent starts building it in one lane and they've kind of got to be able to make it happen in two in order to win the game you can get in a scenario where they're doing so much damage in a lane that they can bash through the tower and then get all the way to the ancient and end the game. But that itself is a very specific kind of strategy. And that for me changes the nature of its back and forth quite substantially. And it allows, I think from a design point of view, it allows things to be a little lethaler, more lethaler, more lethal and more scary than you might have to do in another game like this, where it's like, well, this just ends the game. And in this, it doesn't, this just ends the game in one third of it. And there are, you know, there are almost always counterplays built into the system. It's interesting how it like, uh, the Witcher's card game, Gwent, is a three-round thing where you can afford to lose one of those rounds. Yeah. And in a sense, you could almost win... It. One thing in Gwent is, like, if you can make the enemy expend all their cards trying to win this round and you win it, you've kind of won the game at that point as well. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, um, a lot of my favorite strategies that I've picked up in terms of while learning the game have been, like, having a way to sort of consistently stall your opponents, the, the lane they obvious, they're obviously favoring, without actually letting it get out of control but also about letting really killing them because there's lots of like there's so much depth to it like when you start playing you get really obsessed with the idea of like if i can kill heroes i can stop them playing cards and sometimes that's definitely the right move um but like uh, i won a game just earlier before you guys came over based on the fact that i just let one hero stick around on one health um because the fact that heroes respawn means that um oh so it was weak and you wouldn't yeah right. no it means they, they're still doing damage but i can afford the amount of damage they're doing yeah. what i don't want them to do is respawn and go somewhere else like if I trap them here, they are the, their player either has to buy them an item to move them. You buy like a blink dagger and blink to another lane or buy a teleport scroll to get them out. If I can just sort of hold them here, they're kind of not, well, at least I can predict what they're doing. There's all this nuance. There's an initiative system. So the first player to pass goes first in the next lane. Huh. So if, if I do something and then you choose not to do something and you pass and then I pass, that initiates the combat. And then we go to the next lane. And that is tremendously important. There's a special card quality that means that the cards that steal initiative. Um, but without them, you know, often, and it's very un, you know, often sometimes the best thing to do is not spend any mana, just leave it. Like I, I'm broadly, I'm, I'm happy enough. I could, I could gild this lily in this lane, but I'm happy enough with it. 
And what's more important is that I play the first card in the next lane, um, which could be something that maybe stuns the heroes before they can use any cards or kills those heroes. Or um, there's a great card, Enough Magic, which is based on the Fuck Magic Dota meme, which is basically just a guy punching a wizard in the face and it skips the card phase completely. Um, And so it just means go straight to combat phase. There's all this stuff built in. And like, like I say, I could bang on for a long, long time about just how cool this is when it all kind of comes off. Um, and I've had some really great games, um, throughout the beta and, and since, uh, it went to public beta this week. Uh, and I think it's, um, like, I'm really excited to see what happens next for it. However, I'm a little worried for what happens next for it as well, because I think, and I'm a bit surprised by this. I think Valve have been quite naive with the business model. Yeah. I heard Artifact is bad because you have to pay for everything. Yeah. And so this, <laughs> well, this, like, it's a, it's a the one... internet told me. So here is the thing. Yeah. There's a, there is a, that is a, not an unpopular viewpoint at the moment. And it is certainly a bandwagon. And there's a lot of kind of like, uh, I wrote a guide for PC Gamer that I put a lot of myself into because it's like, here's the accreted kind of like, not just what cards are good, but here's, you know, my thoughts on the game basically like as a strategic, I'll, I'll link to it because it's, you know, in terms of getting stuck into why it's cool, that's, you know, writing a guide is sometimes a way of expressing this is why I think this is really interesting. Uh, cause all the things that can happen in it and all the comments are like, don't play it, just don't play it. It's, it's, it's pay to win, blah, blah, blah. So there's, you know, the, the tantrum force is out on this. And normally I know I have a bit of a habit of wanting to see the other side and protect the developers basically in that scenario. And I, so in saying I, I have some problems with this business model, I am not endorsing the kind of, um, uh, sort of, um, burn it all down type <laughs> shitstorm currently happening explain what so what what is what is so yeah argument? so well so basically so the what bit, is the model actually? so the model is this um the i thought it was going to be fine specifically because it's very close to pe- tabletop games so that's an interesting thing to consider as i explain what the model is it's the same as magic the gathering in some crucial ways so you spend 20 dollars. i don't know whatever the pound equivalent is on the starter set basically the starter set contains uh two full decks of cards two pre-constructed decks but obviously all the cards that are in those decks um, that between them give you all four colors. So it's like a red, it's a red green deck and a blue black deck. Um, is that, is that deck set? Is every, every owner of the starter pack? Yes. Everyone, every owner of the starter pack has that stuff. You also get 10 packs of cards, each containing, each pack contains 12 cards and is guaranteed to contain a hero, um, and a rare card. Um, although artifact rarity, card rarity is a lot more flat than in terms of its relationship with power level than in other card games. There's, there's common, uncommon and rare. And some of the best heroes in the game are commons. There's not, you know what I mean? There's not like a kind of, it, this is a sh- gold, shiny Charizard, therefore it's the best thing in the world. That, that is not how it the, works. Um, yeah. Cause the, the complexity lies in the overall usage. Yeah. There's certainly, there are certainly better and worse heroes. I think there's definitely a tier list, but rarity is relatively evenly distributed up and down with a few notable exceptions but you notice them because you don't have those cards but like um and you also get five tickets and i get onto tickets because tickets are going to be contentious uh with me chris um <laughs> so um and so you get that stuff and then you can then subsequently pay uh two dollars for uh a, a 12 a card pack basically um or four or i think it's four pounds so probably like uh, $6 ish for five tickets. And that is how the game is supported. The, um, so the issue I have with this is that, um, there is no way to earn any of those things in game without spending more money at all. 
Like, uh, there is uh, at present no way to earn additional card packs simply by playing the game. Um, and so initially I knew this going in and I sort of defended it a little bit on the basis that that is, I play a lot of physical games, I play a lot of tabletop games and I accept that, you know, I accept in real life that if I want to go and win prizes playing X-Wing, for example, I pay it by a ticket to go to a tournament. Dear Fantasy Flight, I've played your game <laughs> for f- 15 hours. Cards, please. Oh, yes. Could you please send me <laughs> exactly. a plastic? Right. So, oh, oh, other big thing, big thing I missed completely. <laughs> it's not active yet because it won't go active until the game goes live at the end of November, but um, you can buy and sell your cards on the Steam Marketplace. Mm. Um, oh. What you can't do is trade them with other people. Huh? And there's a very clear, it, the blindingly obvious reason for this, because as soon as you allow trading, you open the door to third-party reselling. Yeah. Like, and that absolutely would happen. Like, it, it would absolutely, there's no, no doubt in my mind, um, that would happen. Um, uh, but it means that it has basically the entirety of the Magic the Gathering business model from buying, buying packs to selling and trading cards. So you sell it for cards and then you put the money, like, except towards other cards, right? Yeah. Like, um, the exception being that, uh, you know, you and I can't swap cards for, with each other. Which you could. So, yes. Game. So suggestion one from me, uh, Chris, is this. They need to add trading. But I absolutely respect the need to also protect the game from third-party betting sites and all of the things that have bogged down similar mechanics in Counter-Strike. So the way you have to do it basically is like you can only trade with someone if they've been on your friends list for two weeks <laughs> and you've played three full games of Artifact with them. That would be my kind of criteria because that would shut down all the bots that normally facilitate those kinds of Steam interactions. Um, short of better control of a Steam's API uh, for that kind of thing. I think that's how you handle it. Um, people would get frustrated because it's like, we just became friends and I want to trade, but it's like, live, live with it, right? If you're, you're not real friends. If you're, you're, still friends in, if you're still friends in two weeks, you can have my spare Sven. <laughs> um, so the other thing that was an issue with this, which they did catch already is, um, uh, because, um, everyone has the same basic set of cards and you basically never need more than two of the same hero. Um, for example, anytime you pull, like, so I got really unlucky and pulled out of my 10 initial packs. I pulled the same hero four times and it was one of the heroes that's in the base set. So when the marketplace were opened, that thing is utterly worthless, mm-hmm. right? Like that is, you know, that was Sven. No one is ever going to buy my spare Svens. They will never, ever, ever do it. Why would they? It's, it's, the, it's one of the cards every single person who has access to the game is guaranteed to already have and that you'll only ever need one of. So, so put, even putting those in the, in the cards that can be in a pack is kind of a dick move or it's like it's just filler it right it's like putting polystyrene in there yeah, yeah exactly and i suspect that I, I like i know i've met this dev team and I, I suspect this was a very valve decision like well in two years there will be six different card series <laughs> and the starter set will have rotated so uh, sven needs to be in a, in a card set because otherwise he will not be attainable in two years but this is not this is not the problem of today. This is the problem of two years from now. And so what they are doing is, uh, they are, they've announced this, they haven't implemented it yet, is that you will be able to break down your, uh, break down unwanted duplicates into, uh, tickets. So what do you need tickets for? I'll get to, thank you for asking. <laughs> so, so, and this is, this is where we get into like the, my big kind of, hmm, with the game. So, um, tickets are used for basically competitive play. So at the moment, I think they'll have sort of um, rotating tournament formats. But at the moment, you can um, spe- you use a ticket to enter what's called a gauntlet. And in a gauntlet, you play until you lose twice. Um, 
and the exact format changes. So um, you can play what's called a constructed gauntlet where you just pick one of your decks um, and you lock in with that deck and you're going to play this deck for this gauntlet. And if you win three games, you get your ticket back. If you win four games, you get a, a pack of cards and your ticket. And if you get five games, I think it's two packs of cards and a ticket. One win, two wins, you don't get anything. And after two losses, the gauntlet ends. So you can earn cards by yep. playing. But only if you have a ticket, which you bought. Right. So when I say you can't, without paying, yeah, you, there's no yeah, way yeah, into yeah. that. There's also construct, there's also draft, which is uh, based on a magic format where you basically like, you take it in turns to split five packs of cards with other players. Each, each of you ends up with a stack of about, of like 50 to 60 cards. And then you build the deck out of that and you play. And that is an interesting format on paper because it's about your ability to understand the whole game, not just one combo or something like that and improvise a deck. Um, and then, and then there is keeper draft, which costs two tickets and five unopened packs of cards to enter. But what that does is basically the same as draft, except you get to keep all the cards you draft afterwards. So, um, so that's where the, the cost of the, the, the five packs goes in. And I've played all of these and I've found them all stressful and not a lot of fun mm. because of the buy-in <laughs> and for different reasons. So I pay, I, I put down basically the money to enter on a, a keeper draft and I was building a particular deck, but I was always on the lookout for cards I knew I didn't have in my broader collection because I get to keep these ones. So if I, so that completely influenced my kind of strategic decision making. And then right at the end, a hero popped up that I know I really like because from the previous phase of the beta, um, but it was completely wrong for that you know, deck I was in the process of building, but I took it because, you know, maybe I wouldn't see it again. You know what I mean? It was that sort of strange pressure. That's the most extreme example of it. But like, even within, because of all that variant stuff I've spoken about, like the, the interesting variant stuff, um, that really stings if it knocks you out of a, um, if it knocks you out of something you feel like you paid to enter. And it's weird because I've been in exactly that situation with physical games in tabletop tournaments but there's something slightly different about this because it feels like this is my only real chance to earn more cards without buying in. And so when like, so I, um, I, I won a game this morning from a terrible start. Um, and I won it on the 12th round through basically just, just sheer kind of like, you know, brain energy. And I was so excited afterwards that I had to like walk around the house and drink a <laughs> cup of coffee. And I kind of wanted to go to sleep. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that is the, the power of the game. That's what's good about it. And that in a sense was enhanced slightly by the fact that I had sort of, there was risk, you know, I had something mm. on the line. It was my first game of a new gauntlet. I didn't want to lose it. But similarly, like I lost a game earlier, basically on the random distribution of a creep and the random distribution of, um, if something doesn't have a target in front of it on the board, it has a 25% chance of attacking to the left, which is normally the creep ahead of it and to the left, 25% to the right and 50% chance going forward. And so if this one, if this one particular creep had gone forward or right instead of left and the creep hadn't spawned to its left, I would have won the game. <laughs> and, and, and then that creep, that, that creep spawning in that spot was a one in nine. So it was like a one in nine and a one of four didn't go my way and I lost. And there was, yeah, there's something you can do about it, but in that moment, you know, maybe, uh, if I rewind my brain six turns to find the, the butterfly flapping its wings moment where I could have changed the future, maybe, but like in that moment, it just feels fucking awful. Cause even though you just saw an ATP after it, it's still <laughs> ATP, you know what I mean? It's like, and I feel like they have been a bit naive about how that feels when you don't have, 
when 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 um your ticket count is so scarce you can't buy individual yeah. tickets so you're spending you know five dollars a time to to participate and to clarify you don't have to play these modes but they're the only modes that earn you things <laughs> and games are really condition you to see the modes where it's you the, earn things as the real ones presumably this is the is are you also earning some kind of rank as nope. well oh so zero purely, progression purely, other than uh, this, uh, there's zero progression <laughs> But if you if you don't use tickets, you can play just sort of friendly games. You can play against AI. You can play against friends. You can right. play against random matchmaking. Yeah, there's a full game there. But like, you're, but it's interesting. Like, I I you know I can I can think around it, but I can't feel around it. <laughs> and there's a feeling about like I wish I was getting something out of these games. Yeah. My time with it. I think the like answer. So in addition to ad trading, heavily limit who you can trade with. My other suggestion would be, I think they should give every player one or two free tickets every day. Hmm. I don't think that would eat tremendously into even one. I mean, the weirdest thing is, I mean, that's so, <laughs> as soon as you said tickets, because Mario Run on on, right. on, on your phone has tickets in it and the tickets will allow you to play like a little kind of mode where you're racing a level with one of the people on your friends list. And they clearly realize that people, you know, because you have to buy these tickets, but they accumulate over time, you know, and so I've got a hundred because <laughs> I never play the game, you know, and so I've never been. But if you're into it, then you presumably have a scarcity of them. You could have but, like a, a thing where if you're out of tickets, you get one a day. Yeah. All I would do is you get one a day for logging in. Yeah. It's it, every billions of games do this. Like, but then are there login bonuses? No. That's there's, there's nothing. so weird. There are so it's many. It's not a free to play game. There's nothing like but that. But it's like they've taken some sort of slices of free to play kind of. Uh, I don't think they have. Iconography, but sort of. Not really, but not in like, a kind of- because the, the the ticket analogy is strictly like how a tabletop tournament works. Like it's, you but know- it's also a bit like the sort of energy system in, you know, where where you so kind of that I think is where this gets interesting because I genuinely, from talking to them, I don't think they even really see see it as equivalent to a free to play game. Because well, it isn't. I mean, because no, you've, you've paid fifteen like, quid. But on. like, I don't think they have necessarily fully considered where their analogies line up. Right, right. It's not like. You know, tickets are an analogy in this because it's a digital game. Tickets are an analogy in free-to-play because it's it's a free-to-play fucking money-wang system where yeah. it's beyond any kind of physical constraint. Yeah, yeah. This is a – so this is the bizarre fucking circular design thing. This is a digital version of a physical thing that could only be digital but is mimicking the <laughs> payment structures of a physical thing except in one instance trading where the digital environment prevents that thing from being yeah. constrained – in the way that it would be in real life. That is kind of nuts, but I just don't think they've, so I think one thing would be like the reason it's not free to play is that is for cheating reasons, right? Cause that's maybe, yeah. I think that's why CSGO is not free to play. It's, it's just that because the steam account is free and, uh, if the game is also free, uh, they had this problem with TF2, uh, to some extent, I, I, I don't know what they did to solve it. Maybe they didn't solve it. <laughs> and that's why they haven't done another free to play game, but, um, no, it's free. Oh yeah. Uh the basically the cost of of getting caught cheating if it's the game is free is effectively zero because you just create a new account and if, yeah, you, if yeah. you pay for the game then there's some risk to cheating and there's there's a reason not to just try every single exploit ever. Like I I I kind of get it because if it was possible like I feel like the batman's out into a corner because if it was possible to farm uh cards in game then uh, and sell them on the Steam Workshop, then the whole thing becomes a factory for generating 
income on Steam. But why expose themselves to any of this at all? I mean, like, I can see part of the ticket system is about raising stakes and giving you a sense of progression yeah. in a game which doesn't really have progression, you know, where, um, like, StarCraft has a ladder system. Like, there's your, there's your sense of kind of stakes. Every game you play mm. on the ladder has stakes. Like, it's just built into the structure. Um, yeah. You know, and then there are kind of, but it is a paid for game and that would like artifact could surely fit into that if you're yeah gonna, like, if you're going to get rid of all the tabletop sort of sort of it's funny like idealistically uh, like, like, why not just have all the fucking cards because if if the the variety and excitement of a game doesn't lie in your you know the cards you've collected like it does in something like hearthstone yeah right yeah. why the fuck just sort of lean on the uh, on the game design which like this incredibly complex kind of multi-layered game design instead yeah i don't know i'm not sure like and i'm interested to see what, i suspect the future holds some big changes for it one thing i don't want to do is come down on it finally until it's out because like i don't i don't believe that valve make infallible decisions by any means but i suspect i suspect there's um i, I really want to see what the impact the marketplace has on it in terms of the value proposition of it. Because if, for example, it is relatively affordable to simply buy the cards I want for a deck I like, like when you are, you can, um, you can import decks through an API, basically. So third party websites will be able to interact with them. If you load up a deck in, in the in-game deck builder where you don't have all the cards in order to build it, there's a button at the bottom to just buy all the cards you need to finish <laughs> that deck. Oh shit. So you don't need to buy the packs at all. No, that's the point of the Steam Marketplace. Oh, I see. So you course, buy yeah, them yeah, from yeah, other yeah. people on Steam. Course, it would just find yeah, the yeah. cheapest of each of them, right? So that, that, that doesn't work yet. It doesn't work yet. It'll only start working next week. I really want to see how it feels when that is the case. Because if, if the cards are, it's not a huge card set. Like if, if all the cards are abundant enough that like it ends up being, you know, maybe this public beta is a weird period for the game, but not representative. And what ends up being the case is like you, oh, you know, everyone just accepts you do the $20 buy-in and then you buy the rest of the cards for $10 and that's it. And there's some value to Valve in the, the the price of the rest of the cards being some strange fluctuating kind of X number. I don't know. Like, I find it really interesting because idealistically, I like so much about it. Like, I love its design, obviously, but like, I like the idea that there's no leveling up. Honestly, yeah. like that, that is, uh, you know, I, I, I would defend the fact that there's no card crafting system because I feel like, the, like breaking cards down into dust and using it to forge different cards is a way that Hearthstone masks its own exploitative practices. Cause what it teaches you to do is to see a pack of cards that you paid for where you got nothing that you wanted as valuable in some way, because this, this rare card you got a duplicate of breaks down into one hundredth of a different rare card. <laughs> like that, you know, CCGs being what they are, like that system isn't perfect either. And I really like that they're trying something different, but it has given me like, it's a game that can give you bad beats as it is through its design. And I, I can be happy with that without this broader framework. I'm just not sure the ticket thing works as it currently is. That said, like literally if it was like every day you log in, you get one free ticket. I would log in every day to just do my gauntlet for the day very happily. And I probably play it forever. It's because each of each of those runs represents if I don't do well, ATP of my human money. It yeah. sort of adds this twist to the knife that I'm not sure works for it at all. What's in, what's interesting for me is that, that you, you enjoyed it like unfettered in an unfettered way, you know, when you had the entire kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, earlier kind of build. And then when you play it in the way that everyone else does, you feel 
you feel the monetization and you wonder how its developers could have ever felt it because I don't know yeah. how testers can ever get across the sensation they have. I mean, they can, you know, you expressed it well here. Mm. You know, they're, they're, I just wonder That's how what this beta is, I guess, because it, it's a closed beta, right? You need a key to get You need a this. key, yeah, and pre-ordering doesn't even get you a key. So, yeah. So that's what they're testing now, and yeah. they're yeah. finding out. Yeah. <laughs> like, not so they, they moved very quickly last week on adding this system to break down cards into tickets. Uh, my problem with that system is simply that in order to have cards spare, you need to have gotten packs somehow. So you still have to buy into that, essentially. That takes the sting out of a bad beat in the card openings, in the pack opening stuff. So I don't know. But yeah, like, that's one of the reasons I don't want to come down too hard. Because like, I was so close. Like, if you'd asked me, like, um, well, someone did. Like, I was at, uh, you know, Crank Crowbar Mini's monthly event in, in, and the weekend and someone asked me, um, you know, you're excited for Artifact and I had to kind of do a face and say like, yeah, it's probably my game of the year. Like far and away my game of the year. Like it's, uh, I, I genuinely love its design and it sort of bothers me that like the, the sordid matter of coin has dragged me away from it. Cause I'm usually <laughs> such an idealist about this kind of thing, but I feel like they, as of time of recording Wednesday of the public beta, it's got a week to go. I really want them to see them just make a few more generous decisions. Like if it launches into the wild with the ability to run a tournament every week, day, as long as, you know, you keep playing or whatever, I'd happily recommend it to anybody. But I think as it is right now, they need to think a bit hard about how they don't make people hate it, basically. <laughs> it's so weird. Like on the one hand, part of me thinks like, you're Valve, you got all the money in the world, just err on the side of generosity and, and yeah. you can't go far wrong. Like, you'll make some money from it, it'll pay for its costs, for God's sake. <laughs> it's not gonna make less money than you spent making it. Uh, if you, if you just charge 20 bucks from it and nothing costs money, um, that would be the case. Uh, but then the other, other side of me thinks like, Valve are always coming to think super long term. They're like, well, we'll be around in 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they want just, they already have with, with Dota 2 and, and CSGO, like these big money hoses that are just pouring in all the time and Steam, like the entirety of Steam. That's another money hose they're pouring in. And I think they just want as many of those as possible to just, just in case like three of them fail <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. They'll still be alive because this fourth one is still going. But like the, I get the feeling that some of this stuff isn't purely about money. It's yeah. Because they know that the invocation of money is a driver for play you know it just the frisson of of risk and the frisson of earning and and the kind of all those yeah, things think, that, that, that say, money think, heightens that's the thing they can't test like they can't yeah. know that because they haven't yeah uh, even if they did play with their own money in testing they all get paid really well <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. hey why don't we just for a hundred dollars i felt more excited <laughs> what can one hero cost ten dollars <laughs> yeah. like this is the thing like <laughs> uh, which which one of these is a 50 like <laughs> like um this is the thing at the moment it feels like a rare thing to develop it feels like someone is standing on the money host by accident like i genuinely like you know it's like why isn't it coming out like <laughs> like um and um like i genuinely think this is actually a very sensitive time for the game and i I mean, they have, they have fucked up so many times with Dota, like, in terms of communication. They fuck up all of the time. Yeah. Valve, like, and, and I, I was out there and I spoke to them and I said, how are you going to avoid fucking up communication? <laughs> and I didn't say it in exactly those terms, but it wasn't far off. Well, cause I mean, basically what I said was, 
you know, this game is going to require really clear communication when people are putting the money on the line for cards and things. You're going to really have to express things like balance changes very, very well. You don't have a good track record. Like, you just don't have a good track record with this. Like, how are you going to fix that? And like, well, we're trying a few things. And like, this, this public beta is the time to get it right because this is the first impression being set. It's like, yeah. And it feels like the very long-termist view doesn't pay attention to like, this first impression matters. And game communities bandwagon. They bandwagon on your service, Steam against other people's games yeah. and i don't think valve are immune to that no i think if this gets reviewed on to fuck and it could like you know i have problems with it but i don't feel caught up that is not a cause i will change my mind tomorrow if they make the right decisions but that is not how this audience works mm. and they have been so slow to accept bandwagoning as a a, a a bad data force, basically that like it's not rational actors. It's it's. Let's see how they feel when they get review bombed. Uh, they all they all for sure as shit have a histogram of how bad they're getting review bombed on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be able to see a beautiful graph of exactly when it happened and why. Yeah, exactly. They are, yes. Like essentially, this one will get punched in the face, and the rest of Valve will earn a free action. Like. <laughs> <laughs> they are the adeptus mechanicus <laughs> game development. Oh my god, they really are. They genuinely like, they are perfect. It is heresy to harvest the Xenos technology from Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> Probably our factions within Valve are like, no, don't take anything from Blizzard. Exactly. <laughs> no, but we can learn so much from this alien tech. <laughs> no. <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> the data is truth. Shit. Yeah, they really are. Fucking hell, this is, I, my mind is blown here. They yeah, are. Yeah. yeah, they, they unscrewed all the green lights. All they did was like, they just read a load of old Warhammer stuff and just thought, that's, yeah, that's our the company. faction we're going to be. Yeah, because Blizzard are the orcs. That's the way this. Goes. <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, just like cobbling stuff together from other people's stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> goes fast though. Um, uh, that's more accurate than I had to worry about. Oh, but yeah. Shit. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, who's Calypso Entertainment? <laughs> <laughs> what, Warhammer faction? A Calypso? I think they might be German. As in like the kind of German adventure game. Kind of I think so, yeah. Just popped Ooh. into my head. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> why. This is a podcast are they big enough to be one of the factions in Warhammer? Because <laughs> there are, like, there are a lot of factions in Warhammer, but not relative to the number of publishers there are in the games industry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And obviously, like, EA and so, or something would be. I think EA, like, it would be the Imperial, Imperial Guard. Guard yeah. yeah, yeah. Who is Tau? Who's the Tau of the games industry? High tech, high tech, very kind of mono cultured, um, recruit other companies. Oh, there's a little bit of Activision in there. I was thinking Riot. I'm trying to think of the Eldar, some sort of extremely old group of I developers. Think, I think it's that entire, I think the Eldar are like else. that like generation. Looking of, glass gang. No, yeah, but I think it's, I <laughs> all think of it's, the game designers on Kickstarter trying yeah. to find yeah. remakes Bring it of back, yeah. <laughs> We actually, the, the hedonism the of The dark our, Eldar are, are um, are the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, we accidentally birthed Sonesh in the 90s. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not going back is, in the bottle. Is Chaos <laughs> like modders? <laughs> I don't know, because, yeah, what is, I don't know. I don't know what Or chaos. maybe indies. Maybe, yeah. Hmm. Maybe the analogy falls apart <laughs> at a certain point. <laughs> um, but yeah. 
but no, I, I like the Valve Adeptus Mechanicus thing quite a lot. I don't know who the Necrons are really, because it's not really like an antediluvian force that slumbers. I know, tabletop games. The Necrons are <laughs> yeah, because they came games. back. <laughs> exactly. They keep They've always been here, but now <laughs> yeah. they've come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so in some ways, Artifact is Mechanicus. Adeptus Mechanicus <laughs> taking on the Necrons and struggling to know what to learn from this antediluvian robot menace. <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> Good. Good. Really, really got on top of things. Yeah. Tom, you must have been getting on top of things in order to shoot sniper rifles at people, right? I just want to compete with Alex for worse oh, segue. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a stretch. We're all just talking about, like, games where you kill people. <laughs> There's plenty of common threads here. Yeah, you've been, you've been paying, paid a lot of money in a game in order to kill someone. That's like paying to win. If you're, if you're. They paid a, me to win. Yeah, if Agent 47's clients are playing their own version of. <laughs> <laughs> they unlock a very shiny bald man <laughs> i would love to tie this into the plot of hitman season two but i didn't follow the plot of hitman season two Hang at on, all there's a plot yeah and they yeah there really is and they, they want you to care but i don't because <laughs> hitman one as in the new hitman one that had a plot but it was so utterly kind of i didn't separate. understand it at all it is yeah it's similarly separate here so it's just hitman season two it's called hitman two but i'm going to call it hitman season two because there's already a game called hitman two and yeah fuck's sake stop calling your games things that already exist um and it's I want to say five or six missions uh or locales that have missions in them um and in between them there are cutscenes, and that is it plot wise like oh, still yeah, right. i mean l- to a similar extent as, as season one there are sometimes story objectives in the levels like if you remember in sapienza you're there to kill two targets but you also have to get some kind of virus because of plot um, was that part that like, i totally <laughs> missed that the virus is any kind of plot yeah, yeah you have to do it um it's yeah it's one of the oh, shit. i just thought it was just i mean it's it's like do. i think the lady is the scientist who's developing that or something um hey, you're really into lore <laughs> <laughs> i pay so much attention there's some kind of virus it's plot related drop a drop a stalactite on it that's yeah. my advice yeah. shoot the stalactite the silence pistol oh, that destroys shit, you know. and that saves you a whole chunk of that game <laughs> Good um, content tom but this it's very weird playing season two because season two is released all at once season one was released episode by episode and we had like two months to kind of play each episode before the next one came out and uh i'm realizing now how much that game benefited from that i think i think i actually probably would have just been like straight up against season one if it had come out all at once i think i would just be like i don't like this game they've ruined hitman fuck this because Playing season two, even knowing that about season one, that the, each locale benefits from like thoroughly exploring it and that you don't really get to it, um, that way. When you just have all six missions in front of you and they, they are sequential, they are plot driven, um, and you're, you're not forced to play them in order, but you're encouraged to. Like if you try and play one that's ahead of where you are, it says spoiler warning and all this stuff. Um, and so it, it strongly encourages you to just like play through these five missions in order. Um, but it's conflicted about this. It doesn't know whether to advise you to do that because I think it also knows that you get more out of it if you thoroughly explore these locations. But it just, I would complete a mission and 
I would do it. My rule for like a first time through, and I did this season one as well, is I don't have to get Silent Assassin, but I have to get like a good playthrough. It has to be like, okay, one person saw me once, or yes, if I replayed, I could have done it so that that person's body wasn't found, but I know how to do that. I don't need to actually replay it. And- Everyone who sees me has to be very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I would always end up with like a good score, like close to what you'd get for Silent Assassin, mm. but um, if I don't quite get it, I don't care. I'm not going to replay the whole thing just to fix that. Um, and then the interesting thing about replaying is to like pursue the different challenges. Like, how do I kill this guy with a fish? How do I, uh, strangle him with a tape measure? Um, what is this? Like, actually, when you look at the cheap, the challenges, um, they are full of stuff where you're just like, wait, what is that? <laughs> you can do what? Uh, there's huge amounts of, of unexplored, um, depth there. But when you finish a mission and there's another mission waiting for you, mm. you don't feel like doing that. And the game jumps in, <laughs> even though it is sequential and, it, and it's story driven, it jumps in and says, ah, here are the three you recommended mission stories for you to play. Do you want to play one of these now? Like right after you finished it for the first time. So the first time it doesn't tell you to do anything in particular. Um, uh, but as with Hitman one, uh, sorry, season one, um, you are, as you walk through the level, you're over here conversations and it tells you like, oh, this is a story. You should listen to this and it will lead to some kind of way of getting to your target. Um, those again, I still don't really like those. They are, um, they're an entry point for Hitman. I think if you don't get Hitman, then this is a nice, I've heard from some people who didn't get Hitman before last season and they found these were a way into the series for them. Mm. Like, oh, I just do what I'm told. I just go to point A, then to point B, then to point C, and then I've got the target alone and I kill them. And that's cool. And all along that route that you know, all the systems are working, there's it's still a simulation. You can still vary yeah, the game if you like. is all existing. Yeah, yeah, but if you want it to work, you just have to do what you're told. You just don't do anything else. Don't For God's sake, don't shoot anyone else. For God's sake, don't wear any different disguise. For God's sake, don't deviate from the path. And so for me, that's utterly uninteresting. Like the whole point of Hitman was coming up with my own solution. And, uh, I didn't like episode one of season one, the Paris mission, because you kind of had to do the stories to get anywhere. Um, they were called something different back then, but now they're called mission mm. stories. It's opportunities. Yeah, yeah that's it. right. Yeah. And then Sapienza, I love because you don't need them. They're there and discovering them is kind of interesting after you've kind of played around with the mission and played as a, as a, just a free form thing. Um, and here, I can't say yet whether the missions require them or not, but I ended up doing them the first time through, you know, at least one of them for each thing. They, you, most missions have like two or three targets, and I, for at least one or two of them, I would just do, I would come across some conversation and it led to some way of me getting to the target, and I just did it, and then I completed the mission with a really good score. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it tells Tom's you like, objective don't complete. you want to do, don't you want to do like three others? Don't you want to go back and just like, kill that same target, but with a different method of getting them on their own, which we will also talk you through and just tell you what to do. And I'm like, no, not really. That's, mm. I do want to replay this mission, but I don't want to do that. Even if you, even if you did like those story missions, you'd still, I think, have the compulsion not to play them again because you got a new thing waiting. Yeah, exactly. It feels very, and so what I've ended up doing is just playing each mission once. I've played them all now. I've finished it technically. <laughs> I finished Hitman 2, uh, in about, you know, five hours or something. Um, and I haven't had a great experience with any of those missions. They were all, they were fine. And I was interested in the environments and I do want to go back to them, but ultimately I just had sort of five or six not terribly satisfying experiences and mostly following, just doing what the designer told me to do, doing the solutions they that are set up for you to do. They work. Well done. You win. And yes, I fucked up slightly on some of them. I, one body got discovered or one person saw me and I could just replay and do that exact same thing, but fix that one tiny mistake. I have no interest in doing that. Like, I don't care about the actual like score that tells me at the end. Um, 
and I know there is loads of cool stuff for me, like waiting for me in this game when I go back and go to these missions and just look at the list of challenges and just see, like I say, you'll read this list and think, what? You can do this? You can do that? What the hell? Like, there was a mission where there are two missions in this, at least two, that are direct references to previous missions from Blood Money. Um, uh, so one is Blood Money, there was a mission to assassinate someone who's in witness protection in America, and that was called A New Life. And in uh, Hitman Season 2, there is a mission called Another Life, which is set in a very similar-looking, sleepy suburban neighborhood kind of uh, white picket fences. the one where you put a rake in front of people. Yes, that is the rake one. <laughs> it makes I, them go to sleep. I haven't done that, but I, uh, yeah, I watched a video of, of you. Uh, so actually, that immediately answered a question I had when playing, which is um, there is one shoulder button is instinct vision and one shoulder button is sprint. And I'm often sprinting and I also want to use instinct vision to like see people through walls. But when you press them both, it, it actually goes into like an item placement mode, like a really involved way of precisely placing an item in the environment. I'm like, why do you have this? I've never really wanted to do that in Hitman. Like in Gone Home, sure, you want to put the, <laughs> the photo back on the shelf without throwing <laughs> it on the floor. But why is it in Hitman? And it's because there's a rake. <laughs> and if you put the rake in the right place on the floor, when someone steps on it, it spangs them in the head. <laughs> and they it actually kills them. Like at least one of those. In video i think it's because that person fell in a pit oh Oh, because they fell like headfirst into it like a a shallow pit (laughs) (laughs) it was very fragile in hitman like yeah yes that that's it shares that with dishonored like if you're trying to do a non-lethal playthrough dishonored everyone everyone you put to sleep if they fall like six centimeters (laughs) is like they're fucking dead you failed the whole thing um yeah so it's a weird like i don't uh I am not saying the game is bad, but it it pushes you into a strangely unsatisfying first run through. And like I say, I could have just stopped and played one mission over and over again and got all the value out of it. But it made me realize how much season one benefited from being released that way. People didn't like it. And I, no, so I totally didn't. understand the business decision to, to not do it that way this time. <clears throat> but for me, I got way more enjoyment out of that series by yeah. being, I was forced to play Paris again and again until I, uh, and then it until I saw what was good about it. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was like, I, I can completely see why people were grumpy about it, but I think it absolutely worked like that. And then, and then when that next level was, was, um, was released, yes. And you jump into it and kind of explore it thoroughly. Yeah. I think also that it's, to release it now when it's competing with someone, so many other big games, you know, mm. whether you've bought them or not, like, there's so much fucking distraction. It'll be interesting, actually, to see how how it lasts on this podcast. Because I remember we talked many times about how Hitman 1, we were just talking about it for like You mean Hitman Season 1? Hitman Season 1, yes. <laughs> um, we just kept on talking about it because new missions came out and the elusive targets and various other stuff. They're still going to do the elusive targets. The Sean Bean is up at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, and I, I expect they will do stuff like they did, like, so at Christmas last year, they, they released like a Christmas version of Paris, uh, for Hitman season one. Um, and I'm sure they'll do stuff like that, but will that be enough to bring us back? Like when it's a whole new mission? Yeah. I have to play the new Hitman mission, of course. When it's just an elusive target, eh, I can probably skip it maybe. Um, what's interesting is, uh, friend of the podcast, Jack DeKeet, uh, is the biggest Hitman season one fan in the, that I know of. <laughs> um, and he didn't, uh, really click with blood money. Um, and what was interesting talking to him about it is that he, uh, likes it a lot more and he like actually doing the mission it for him is just like the sort of starter course. Like you do that once maybe and you'd never <laughs> think about it again. And then you play like the escalation missions and the contracts and all these kind of custom things that plug into that same location, but don't involve doing the main mission. Whereas for me in season one, I 
I touched the escalation missions and, I, and the contract system, and I, I found both of them quite unsatisfying. Uh, escalation is where you do it gives you like a target who's not the main target of the mission normally. Uh, you kill them, and then it says, "Okay, now we'll do that, but don't ever get seen." And now do that, but you have to wear this disguise. And now do that, but there's landmines everywhere. And it's I don't know, it's sort of theoretically interesting, but when I've just done the hit, I don't want to do the hit again. Especially if it's like, don't get seen. And I already didn't get seen. <laughs> like, I didn't get seen in that run through, but I still have to do it again and prove that I can do it without being seen. Um, uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I admire the, the, the mindset that's able to do that because I find Hitman so demanding. <laughs> like, you know, mentally demanding. When I yeah. made the hit, oh, <laughs> I kind of want to rest. To, yeah, to the idea of going back so exciting. to it. Yeah, I get it. But then, you know, I, I can completely see that, you know, you can speed run it and you can do all sorts of things. But yeah, Jack tells me that the... social aspects to it. Well, the contract system you can... Is how you... The idea is you do a mission one way and by doing it that way, you um, can then pose that as a challenge to your friends. So, hey, you try and do it that way. Um, and I didn't like that when I played it because all of my ideas for cool ways to do it didn't count. So the only two things... <laughs> The only two things that get communicated to your friends about do it this way is what weapon did you use to kill them and what disguise were you wearing at the time? Uh, all right, that, what disguise you're wearing at the time doesn't really matter. Like using a disguise to get somewhere can be interesting, but whether you still have it on when you fire the shot is kind of irrelevant. And then I would like be pushing people off cliffs. That it doesn't count. It's just like any weapon, do it however you like. And almost every interesting way I found to kill someone, it would always just say any weapon. So it would never register that. Jack says that's been improved since launch for season one, so that might be better. And then season two has ghost mode, which is where uh, it's closest to direct multiplayer they've ever had, where you are both uh, going for the same target in the same level, but you're and you see each other, but you're in separate worlds. So if so you, I... You can't affect their world. Yeah, if I, like, distract an NPC or if I kill an NPC, it doesn't get distracted or killed in Jack's world. Uh, so we played this... Uh, it's the Miami level. Apparently, they only have the Miami level working in this mode so far, so it's... That's what keeps playing it. Um, <laughs> that sounds really weird. Like, so everything's synced up, and then you sort of increase... Increasingly yeah. kind of cause kind of chaos kind of... And it's competitive, changes. so you have the same target. Like, target's in the same place unless you get to him and somehow move him. Um, and once the other person has shot them, uh, they have like a timer for that not to be noticed. You only get the point if it's an unnoticed kill. And so if, if like that means no one discovers the body in like 15 seconds or 10 seconds. Uh, and also once you kill them, I only have 10 seconds to kill them or there's no point in doing it at all. So, uh, it's very time pressurey. And I, I watched, uh, this being played before I ever played it myself and thought, oh, this is kind of interesting because, you feel the time pressure, and so you race. But if you don't do it, if, like if it's not an unnoticed kill, it doesn't count for anything. You literally get zero points. And if you kill any innocents, you get negative points. So there's no point in rushing it if rushing it means doing it sloppily. You have to do it really well. Um, and I thought that would kind of push you to play Hitman like Hitman, you know, take your time and, and stalk the target. But it doesn't. In practice, it's just like the time pressure is so extreme. Because even, even if you're right that, oh, if I'd shot them then... I would have got discovered. If the person you're playing against shoots them then, doesn't get discovered, you've lost. So <laughs> you feel like you should have done it, even if that's not true that you should have done it. And so I ended up uh, being... In fact, all of the points I did score was when I was super hasty and just didn't think about it. Just like, <laughs> kill the guy, fuck it. I don't know if anyone's watching me. And I got lucky and they weren't. Uh, the times when I waited and thought, you know, let's be careful, let's wait for this. Jack would just kill the guy before me and get the points. And Okay, fuck. 
<laughs> I screwed it up. Um, it's very, then the strangest thing about that mode is, and the reason it, I actually don't like it, uh, like that problem is, you know, it's partly a psychological problem. And I could probably get through it. You know, if I played it enough, I would learn the right way to play it and just get better at it. But, um, and learn when a failure is just luck and when it was actually my fault. Um, but the thing I just really don't like about it is when your disguise is blown and people are shooting at you and stuff, there's no way out of that ex- beyond, you know, just sprinting across the level, trying to find a dark enough corner with a new disguise in it, which is just sheer luck, basically, unless you know where everything is. Um, and then changing disguise, which even when I do it successfully doesn't feel right. It feels like they would know it's me. Come on. I just walked into a closet and I walked out of someone else. Like, <laughs> like when it works, it's not satisfying. And 90% of the time, I just can't find a way to do that. And everyone's shooting at me. And that is true. Even after this round, like even after this kill is over, the other person wins the point and, and move on to the next kill. You're still in the same disguise. Everyone still knows who you are. Everyone's still shooting at you. Um, and even when they kill you, you respawn in the same disguise and they're all still angry at you. They all still know who you are. There's just no way out of it. It's just like this, once you fuck <laughs> up, it's everything is chaos forever. And I would like, you know, this is the, the most basic level of description I would have given of Hitman is like, it's a game that's like really, uh, has a really involved disguise system and it's all about social stealth and it's fun and interesting until you fuck up. And then when you fuck up, sometimes you get like a cool moment where like someone runs in and just shoot them in the head and it's kind of contained and you've you lose a few style points or whatever but it, it the game roughly uh carries on but it's an incredibly fragile balance and if that that one scenario doesn't happen it's it just spills out into escalating chaos and it's always garbage from that moment on i've never enjoyed it after it goes wrong it's always just like i can kill every single person on this level and i will have zero fun (laughs) you know it's not that my mission is scotch because i can't complete it it just feels like garbage it's just a bad game at that point and this is a this is a mode where once that chaos breaks out they refuse to contain it there's so many ways they could give you a break and let you reset and let you refresh and get back to the good part of the game but they just refuse to it's just no you are being shot forever now yeah you go purist on it if you die at this age of 47 in that mode you should respawn as a different NPC agent <laughs> <be>, 48 <laughs> but you know what I mean like if you're going to do yeah. a moving target around I'd have you be someone else like you're this person now like, yeah yeah, it's very strange, particularly in, just in a competitive game. Like, you don't really want it to snowball. You don't really want no. the winning player to to continue to have an advantage well, and losing player to just continue be to like a advantage. failure state. Yeah, you, go, you like won. Dying could reset it. Yeah. Mm, yeah, like or a shorter shorter level, but with actual. If you die, you're out. Like, yeah. The other person, then the other person gets the you won. No matter what they were doing, <laughs> you get the reverse bad feeling. <laughs> Oh, I discovered a weird, it almost feels like a loophole, but like the whole thing about an unnoticed kill is it's only the kill that has to be unnoticed. So you can just run up to the guy and beat him unconscious in front of everybody, get shot a bunch of times, run away, lure all the guards around there and circle back and then just shoot him in the head and unnoticed kill. <laughs> no one saw you shoot him in the head. They all saw you beat him up. Who can say you shot him in the, the head? Could be anybody. <laughs> that is more or less like the, the sort of combination opening scene and resolution of so many American police procedural shows where it's like these people are in a pub, the fight outside the pub, but then, or bar. And that guy was found shot later. Couldn't have been that first guy. Episode happens. It was. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you will go back and do the digging through it? Yeah, are you, definitely. Are you motivated? I want to like just look at what the challenges are. And I've already on the last mission I played. Um, I 
did it kind of too easily. And uh, basically, there's a scene where I became the master of ceremonies at this strange, like, cult gathering. And my two targets are very, like, they, they run the show, basically. And one of them was due to appear on stage. And it's absolutely signposts, like, five different ways. There is a pyrotechnics event here. She is going to be standing in a cage next to a huge amount of flame. You are running the show. <laughs> Would you like to sabotage the cage? Or, like, I never got to the point where that was actually an option. But it was like, this cage can be sabotaged. You can absolutely yep. do this. And then I got up there and I didn't, like, she was... There's this huge crowd. You're on the kind of a raised pedestal and it's, it's in like a castle and there's some, uh, crenellations that I, uh, she had gone behind. And I was like, we'd gone back from the crowd a little bit and the, the whole apparatus is right in front of me. And I'm like, no one is watching me right now. <laughs> I think I just hit her. <laughs> like I had a, a giant torch that I'd like symbolically carried the flame from a pile of burning money up to the cage. And the next stage was going to be to light it up. But I'm just like, I think I just hit her with a fucking torch. I think I just knock her out. And I knocked her out. And then uh, that only, that was a non-lethal thing. So I shot her in the head <laughs> and uh, that body was never discovered. I paid that mission for like an hour and a half after that. No one ever found that body. No one ever wondered why the master ceremonies just like ran through the crowd after that and went off and just joined the party and nothing else happened in the whole show. They all stayed there watching that show. Nobody looked slightly to the right and saw the woman dead there. Nobody wondered where she'd gone. <laughs> I think, yeah, you're so right that hitman is such a delicate balance because i've always found it frustrating because i actually quite i get terrible choice paralysis with with hitman it's like here's a big level and um and so for the opportunity stuff i did like i think i'm kind of with jack on that that like i actually did them in, in season one because it meant that it was almost like you know the thing that like deus ex did in like I think it, maybe just the first level of deus ex but when just like the fly through of liberty island and you see the whole thing and you get that brief sense of what the layout is going to be, but it's not enough for it to not feel pretty vast and kind mm. of complicated. That Those sort of initial opportunities runs feel like the guided tour of the level. Like, yeah. Here is the level. Yeah. Like My least favorite part of Hitman or any game like that is like discovering where the door is that goes to the objective. <laughs> and you can either, you can either have some really like the sort of Deus Ex Human Revolution system or, or something like that where you have like quite obnoxious object highlighting and checkpointing and things. Um, so that I get it right first time, but I feel like I was just following the breadcrumb trail. Or you kind of make that the point and do that. Like, the first run is always this like handheld thing, and you just trust Let's that there's a much bigger game out the structure. Yeah, like possible. I start enjoying those levels once I know how they're laid out, and that's yeah. I find the most enjoyable way for me to learn how they're laid out is yeah. to just yeah. Sapienza became a nice place once. Yeah, I did probably it once. The like, second mission was it Morocco in, 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 in Hitman Morocco, one yeah. was the third yeah. one. Like that yeah. level was pretty big and complicated, yeah. and I found it a little bit overwhelming until I had done a bunch of the challenges, and then I I picked my own point to start going off piece and, and experimenting, and that's that worked for me. Yeah. But, but similarly, like, when you do those challenges, the more advanced things, when you find like quite a cheap way of winning it, or one that sort of breaks the simulation, it sort of feels wrong, and you feel like you should start again even though you've won, because you've sort of gotten out of the spirit of the thing, like, it's a strange balance, like, it feels like, you know, if we ever got the question, which game would you add a player gm to i would 100 percent add a gm to hitman i think that's, that's almost what it's crying out for it's like when yeah. the simulation breaks it's yeah because, so then yeah when, with tom as the master of ceremonies running off into a party yeah like the gm you need someone to be able to say like send someone to go look for the missing yeah. target right like yeah um and obviously maybe better ai could handle that but that's a, a bit of a gambit really <laughs> like ultimately it's never going to be advanced enough 
I do find I find the series kind of fascinating from a point of view of like I, am I right in thinking that some of the critics there's been some criticism of season two in the sense that it feels a little slight almost that there was there isn't you know it's these six levels and that and that's it sort of thing despite the fact there's like incredible depth in each of each of these missions i've so the thing i've heard um which they absolutely brought upon themselves is i can't remember if it is six or five but um there were like let's say there were five actual real big hubs like sapienza site they're all huge by the way they're like they're all the size of sapienza there's no small ones this time um but the first mission the tutorial is I think to it, it's in, like, as a tutorial, it's the best tutorial they've ever done. It's a whole proper mission unto itself, but I think they called it like a, a location like the others. They've pretended it was an, it was the sixth thing or whatever. Right. Um, and it's not. It's just one building. It's one house. Uh, it's nothing like it, as big as the isn't rest. Isn't it exactly the same as Hitman season ones as well? Uh, I don't Is remember it, it from a previous That was in, I think, Phil Savage's review for PC Gamer that it was the exact same tutorial copy pasted from the first game. Oh. Down to like inconsistencies in the um. Well, as so in, the story of the first game was Hitman one one in the right. mountains, and you go on the boat. Well, as in the none of this sounds familiar. Hitman the cardboard one. boat. So yeah, in oh the, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. In season one, there was this cardboard mock-up uh, boat that you're infiltrating. In season two, the tutorial is like a mansion on a beach. And, oh right. Um, it's I think it's really good bit of tutorial design because you uh, are there to gather intel. And there's no one in the house. And I, I, I played it as if there might be someone in the house and they're shooting cameras and, and worrying about who's going in the next corner. And there's just no one in the house and you just gather some intel. And then while you're in the house, uh, the target arrives with a huge, like, escort of like 20 armed guards. And in a cutscene, they all take position and stuff. And then you're in the house and you've got to deal with them. But you've already learned the controls and how to move. And also, you know, the layout of the whole place. So you have this great advantage of like, yeah, I've got to deal with some enemies now, but I already, have, I already feel comfortable in this environment. I know where everything is. And so it takes away that, that daunting thing of when you go into a new Hitman level of like, oh, I've mm. got to like stodge these people, but I also don't even know where I'm going or how to get to yeah, yeah. A or whatever. So I think it's actually the best tutorial they've ever done. Oh, cool. But it's not Sapienza. <laughs> and, uh, so I've heard like multiple people say, yeah, they're saying that, that this level is, uh, is, a uh, uh, like the others, but it's not. It's much mm. less than that. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it hides its depth unless until you've actually invested yourself enough into finding it. You know, when you think about, it, you know, you compare it to something like Dishonored. Dishonored probably doesn't have that much more environment for, mm. for you to kind of explore, but the fact that it's strung out in a kind of a campaign, you know, with story elements that gradually introduce you to each bits, whereas Hitman slams you in the face with all of it and you go oh it doesn't yeah. seem very much but it you know i think that's a central kind of problem with it really there was one there's one mission in mumbai where the mission story this highlights both the strengths and the problems with the mission stories which is the thing is like the target you're trying to find you don't know what they look like and so one objective is to find a photo of them i found the photo of them but that doesn't tell you where they are it's just like if you ever see them you'll now know what they look like um and all you know is that they're, they're due to get a shave at the barbers. And so naturally you knock out the barber and you dress up as the barber and, and, uh, you open shop and you just like, there's a whole barbering 
it's not a mini game, but it's like there's a system for it where there are like an endless stream of customers and three customers come up at once and you choose which customer you're going to shave and you take them into your shop and you like they sit down and then as you shave them, they, they talk about rumors. And of course, it's always about the guy you're, you're here to kill. Um, and I did this, I had to like shave like three guys before the actual target showed up. You, you go there to look at your targets and like it will highlight, oh, this guy looks a bit like the photo and you get close to him and then it says, okay, yes, it is that guy. Um, and because I'd waited for him so long, uh, I was really resenting this guy. I decided, <laughs> as a power play, I wouldn't shave him. I'd pick one of the other customers. <laughs> like, not you. You will fucking wait, sir. I will get to you and kill you, but not right now. <laughs> I'm going to shave this guy. He really needs it. Um, and then I did that, and I went back out, and I, I, I finally let the target in. Uh, he's like a gang boss. He like runs the whole city. Um, and uh, did you recognise that you'd left, kept him waiting? No, there wasn't like a line about that. Oh. Um, but uh I let him in and then sat him down. And because they know you're dressed as a barber, they know you're shaving the guy, they know everything about the situation, they write a whole lot of dialogue about it. Like you have this, you know, all these kind of uh double meaning conversations where like, yes, this is technically something a barber would say, but also you're talking about killing him. I'll give you a close shave. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're, they're not above that particular line. <laughs> um, and the way it's supposed to work is you keep pressing like the continue shave button or whatever until you press the kill button and then there's some scripted kill. Um, but I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't want to engage with the conversation and I also didn't want to do the scripted thing and I, I quit out of the conversation. And then at that point, I just wanted to like cut his throat with the knife I had in my hand. <laughs> like, let's just do that. Um, but there is no option for that. Like he's in a seat and so it would have to have a whole custom animation for it. And although yeah. they, they have like the scripted kill that's going to happen if you carry on with the conversation, but they don't have like an animation for you killing someone in a seat, I guess. Uh, so I ended up having to like throw the barber's knife at him. I'm like 30 centimeters from him. And I remembered as I did it, uh, it didn't end up mattering, but like one of the new features in this game is people can see you in a mirror. <laughs> so like seconds before he died, he must have had like two thoughts. One, oh, this guy's going to kill me. And B, why is he throwing it? <laughs> like, he's 10 centimeters from me. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> but that worked. Yeah. <laughs> He failed his shaving throw. <laughs> Christ. I wish I could tell you that the puns in the game are that good, but they're not. <laughs> Does it still have weird American accents wherever you go? Well, no. Uh, well, actually, I, I can't remember if that's true universally, but uh, in Mumbai, for example, they all have sort of accents that sound to my ear, at least like Indian accents. But I heard on the Waypoint podcast that they're the wrong Indian accents. In Mumbai, they oh. don't have that accent. There's a, it's the wrong part of India. Oh, done it again. <laughs> <laughs> so they have, they have failed to solve that problem. I saw a really good video set in, in uh, Mumbai yesterday. A little mini documentary. I recommend looking it up. It's on the New York Times uh, documentary about an, um, a, a family living up in a, a tower block. And they have a pet rooster and they can't fucking stand it. <laughs> <laughs> really recommend it. I don't remember what it's called. We'll, I'll, I'll, we'll put it in the, the show. Shit notes. rooster of Mumbai. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like an escapable situation. This, this fucking rooster, he looks like a wanker. <laughs> Honestly. Good. Well, so as you were saying that, our scenes for heating came on and made a really eerie noise. <laughs> I was like, it's here. Good. Shall we do some questions? Yes. Why not? What well, a great... I, what was that? We've had a... What? <laughs> oh. Hello. Who's... Hello. How? Hello. A new sound. Hello. <laughs> oh, oh have you come to stay a while? 
and mayhap listen. I think, yes. Let's identify I, this item. <laughs> it's Pip. I don't know any reliable lines from Diablo. It's, it's, the only two are stay a while and listen, and the stranger was an angel. Those are the two I remember. Because then I remember what Adria said when you talked to her in Diablo 1. Oh, what did she say? I sense a soul in search of answers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, this we've is got good. questions. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our first stranger is... Uh, <clears throat> you have to do the voice all the no, way through, sorry. No, I can't do it. I can only say two things as a decade game. You've also entered more of Treyguard kind of... Yeah, has kind of a stranger. Well, it's actually kind of relevant because... Our first uh, two questions are the same question, but I'll read out the first email, which goes as follows. Uh, Dear DM and PCs, uh, last year's epic tale of the alchemist Bunver and his poor Chegg finally convinced me to try D&D. I'm in a group with my wife and we absolutely love it. Which is accidentally quite Monty Python-esque kind of (laughs) sentence. (laughs) But never mind. Um... Uh, thanks for helping us find this excellent hobby, and are you planning to carry on this year? Rolling for Persuasion, uh, Ben. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Mike, who wrote, Hiya, will you guys be doing another D&D special this season? So yeah, this is referring to last year's Christmas time uh, Dungeons & Dragons adventure. Pip, you look like you've lost something on the floor. What are you looking for? I was, I was uh, 90% sure you would have a D20 somewhere nearby. So I was actually going to roll so for you, perception. You, uh, if you look <laughs> to persuasion. your, you're literally never more than two feet. If you look up to your right, there's a little black box on top of that pile of game things. No, that's the one in there. You will find a D20. Cool. There you go. It's, oh, no, I won't be able to see the no, result. Throw, <laughs> throw it on the floor and we'll all look. Oh, it's a heavy, that's a heavy dice. It's a six. It's a six, everybody. And that concludes this year's Dungeons and Dragons special. (laughs) We'll never do one again. (laughs) Threshold was 13. Wait. It's six. Sorry, <laughs> them's um, the breaks. Thank you for joining us unexpectedly, Pip. Oh, hello. <laughs> yes. That's it. Um, That's it. Oh, so, ruined Christmas. <laughs> so, no, um, so to the point. <laughs> so far, the audience is thinking, no, it's definitely not on. Yeah. Definitely not on the RPG. No. You know? So, to the point, uh, yes. <laughs> well, the, was... Despite the persuasion check. Um, no, uh, we do have, uh, well, we're forming plans in that regard, but... There is a oh, cool. yeah. Uh, well, we <laughs> it's just now learning. About we, these plans. <laughs> we spoke about it earlier, but you weren't home yet. Oh, okay. so, uh, yeah, we will uh, do it again. I think uh, we're just trying to figure out exactly when we're going to record it's a good it. Good thing I came in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, this year uh, we will be joined by inspiration for both the character of Bunfer and the character of Aljon. Alex Wiltshire. And Al John, I don't know if well, there's a, the whole first arc, because you haven't watched the first one, have you? Or listened to it? I'm sorry. I know, exactly. So Alex doesn't know anything that I did with any of the nonsense he's spoken on Ash's podcast. 
<laughs> so this year, I have to studiously avoid doing joke tributes to our friend Alex. Because <laughs> it clearly doesn't appreciate them. <laughs> or he could be really there. double down on it, because he's never going to know. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, he'll be there, Pip. That's the issue this time. I mean, if everybody listened to everything they said, like, then where would we be? <laughs> Good. A different um, podcast. <laughs> Uh, we'll obviously uh, probably tease it a bit closer to the time. But yes, in short, it was fun last year and I'd like to do it again. Also, mm-hmm. to be fair, Tom literally got through saying that he didn't remember a thing that he's been receiving answers to on the previous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Mm. But yes, so thank you for the, the kind words about D&D. And yeah, we'd like to do it again. And it should be Alex 2. Yeah, and Alex 3. <laughs> <laughs> if we can get him, he's very busy. <laughs> He's a dickhead. 50% busier than Alex, too. <laughs> uh, next, uh, a person uh, from the internet, but I am genuinely not clear if this is the same as a person from the internet who regularly writes into the podcast, uh, <laughs> writes, building what looked like gaming PC. <laughs> Dear Fluton Low Bar, a few years back, West Knotts College was remodeled. It now looks like a gaming PC. <laughs> <laughs> look. Shit, look at that. Wow. So we're seeing a, kind of a relatively yep. low splayed building with <laughs> lots of, kind me, of very oblique angled splays of red and greys. Keep like describing s- it, but don't use the word splay. <laughs> <laughs> They're like scaling triangles in some way. Mm. I mean, in, in the way that that is true. It looks like HP <laughs> Omen made it. Yeah. And it might have the name Predator. If you were trying to make a terrible name for a college, if you're trying to make a, (laughs) (laughs) if you're trying to make a porn parody of Slay the Spire, you could call it Splay the Sire. (laughs) Not a question anyone asked, (laughs) nor an answer sought. (laughs) We said the word Splay enough times. It got an Oh, we had one of those wacky breaks, didn't we? (laughs) Um. Okay. Good. There's a few more pictures here. Let's have a look from a different angle. Oh, that just looks like a, f- a building. That's See, that's when you like turn uh, turn your peripheral over or your PC, like open it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh uh, it's not quite. So- oh, look at there's the display. There's the tradesman entrance. Yeah. There's the there's the USB bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's very much a grey and black and red thing, and I'm aware mm-hmm. that with the the branding that PC Gamer has gone for, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm not coming down harshly on that, but. <laughs> It's very PC game. Um, it's been re- rebranded as the Vision West Nottinghamshire College, so it sounds like a PC now Vision. too. Vision. Do you know of any other buildings that look or sound like gaming PCs? <laughs> For fuck's sake! <laughs> if you prefer, buildings- what are the chances that we would <laughs> <laughs> buildings that you might prefer? You might be appropriate to look like gaming PCs. Uh, thanks for the pod. Uh, a person on the internet. Um, so, um, so here's a, here's what the the building looked like before. Oh, fucking hell. Look. So now we're, we're seeing you... an extremely 60s, like that is the most yeah, yeah. 60s building in the world. Brick and windows. I yeah. mean, to be Couldn't fair, be brick squat, and windows. Lumpen. <laughs> it's a trend that's persisted. <laughs> it's a tried and true method. <laughs> it's a square. Do you know what I think? Many of my think... best houses are brick and windows. <laughs> I think that many more gaming PCs should take inspiration from buildings rather than the other mm, way around. Mm. I think nice save. we should... That's a good save. Because <laughs> I don't even have an answer to the other half oh. of the, the other way around of this question. Like, imagine if, like, Frank Lloyd Wright had designed gaming PCs <laughs> instead. Mm. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I'd like more, like... You take a lot of space up. They kind of 
Or of, like a, an 18th century, like <laughs> rather flouncy, or like a neoclassical kind of with pillars and things. Weirdly, I, I like, think actually weird, like those those kind of ideas are all in these sort of mad things you get these days with all kind of bits sticking out and that sort of thing. I they are know. very romantic, no, aren't they? I, isn't it all just RGB lighting nowadays? Well, this is it. That's the same. That's the same. three colours of LED, they're done. <laughs> no, no further work can be done. I would like a gaming PC that was the shape of the gherkin. Would you? In London. Why? Because it's an interesting and crystalline shape. <laughs> that's all Where the reasoning I need. Where would you put it? On my desk. It's like wherever my gaming PC currently is. It? You know, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm with Tom on this. Okay. Tom would I mean, feel my empowered. My gaming PC is a fucking box. He goes like, it can't get much more, less side. attractive than that. <laughs> play the why, is it, why does it say Spire attract so many weird jokes on this podcast? <laughs> it's a strange title. <laughs> And you're also, not killing the spire, are you? Really climbing yeah. the spire to killing the things inside the spire. That's true. It's a really ridiculously good game. And, <laughs> uh, I've, there, it's the game, like, it's, it's, for me, it's this year's Spelunky where it's like, that's what I've been playing every fucking week, but I don't talk about it every week because yeah, yeah. people are sick of it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, would you like a PC in the shape of Slay the Spire? I don't know what the shape of the spire is. Well, actually, no, that, that's not true. Because they, the name. <laughs> I, I get that it's vertical, but uh, you don't really see it when you're playing. And actually, the map that you're traversing is quite quite. Even though I, even though it's called Slay the Spire, I just lateral. see it as yeah, as top down. I see yeah. it as like Maybe it because over. it's so branching and there's no shape to it at all. It's very it doesn't random. make any sense at all. But well, they did they did once do a GIF where they. Uh, you pulled out stats of what floor people died on That's true. as various yeah. classes and they depicted that as a vertical picture of the actual spire and kind of. showed these people flying out of the windows <laughs> at the floor that they died on oh, which wow. is really good yeah there's your cannon right there <laughs> maybe you should have like it, maybe it just is in the gherkin none of us have been in there hmm. like we don't know it could just I be I had a friend who worked there the thing. she might have been lying <laughs> or, I mean, did she ever describe the internal layout? I guess not. There we go. <laughs> Does it I come feel up like she posted some pictures from there and it, it, it didn't look wildly... Inco- it didn't look like Slay the Spire, <laughs> I'll tell you that. There wasn't like a bunch of gremlins attacking her. <laughs> well, I don't know. People curate their photos nowadays. She might have been going for a shiv deck and she just wiped out the enemies before I could see them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They were all just out of sight, you know. Do you think you could? They could redo the Apprentice so that it was just say the Spire, but with in the Shard, and like Alan Sugar was at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I'd welcome that. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about the Shard, but then didn't there didn't there be a fox in there? <laughs> <laughs> they don't think it'd be didn't like a there fox be in there, a fox <laughs> in that Shard. <laughs> I do thing. believe <laughs> there been a been a fox. <laughs> It's ruined. Build another one. Fox got in. Can't, can't get it out again. It's in here forever now. Close the shard. There's been a fox in it. You never see the end of it now. You broken Tom. Uh. You're right. <laughs> very funny thing that was said in a very funny way <laughs> <laughs> was there a fox in the chart 
don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> there may not have been a fox in the shard. No, I'm so sure there was a fox. Chris, Google it. All right, fine. <laughs> It sounds like it might be an Abel and Sebastian song if it didn't happen. This is the most internet I've ever seen used in the making of this podcast. <laughs> the most research we've ever done. <laughs> oh, it's right. Yeah. I'll read this out. Let me read this yes. out. Yes. A fox has been discovered living at the top of the UK's tallest skyscraper. <laughs> this See? is from 2011. I knew! The animal named Romeo. <laughs> yeah. It's thought to have entered the 288-metre, 945-foot shard building at London Bridge through the central stairwell. No fucking shit. (laughs) (laughs) It flew. (laughs) He was only... He only claimed to be there to assassinate Russian spies. (laughs) Um, Or identify items. (laughs) It survived by eating scraps of food left by builders working on the incomplete structure. The fox was captured and taken to Riverside Animal Centre in Wallington, where it was fed and given a checkup. Ted, <laughs> I thought you were going to be given a check. I'm really with any animal with any animal story. I'm really worried this is going to a sad place. Are you seeing go. the check being one of those great big, <laughs> great charity ones? You <laughs> the top one of the photographed the fox. This is this goes into sitting like, there, bewildered. I'm going to give you a, a what fan, the fuck? A fantastic. Example. I was eating sandwiches. <laughs> Twelve thousand pounds. <laughs> Why? <laughs> How is he going to cash it? So, this is this is a BBC news story I'm reading. And a fox is, can't have a bank account. This is the most remarkably BBC story because it's very well sourced for a story about a fox. What we're in a building. Ted Burton, the centre's founder, said we explained to him that if <laughs> straight away it's good. That if that if foxes were meant to be 72 stories off the ground, they would have evolved wings. I mean, what? That was no. They fox. wouldn't need stories Wait, if they could fly. Yeah, exactly. So humans yeah. haven't evolved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the this fox is... replied. <laughs> 100% flawed. Fuck off, Ted. <laughs> said the fox. The hell are you talking about, I'll take Ted? my check and be on my way. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> I think I can glide this thing. Ted continues. Ted continues. We think he got the message, and as we released him back onto the streets of Bermondsey, shortly after midnight on Sunday, he glanced at the shard and then trotted off in the other direction. <laughs> Fuck off, Ted. Wait, did, did Ted like, have wings? Because if so, this makes it a lot more justifiable. But if he's like, we, Ted is literal an angel. We, we go on. <laughs> Barry Hargrove, cabinet member for transport environment. I'm going to say, thank not God an angel. they got the cabinet <laughs> minister. For- <laughs> exactly. Said... <clears throat> Romeo has certainly been on a bit of a jaunt and proved rather elusive, but I'm glad our pest control officers were able to help out. He's obviously a resourceful little chap, but I'm sure he's glad the adventure is over, and hopefully he'll still clear, still well clear of skyscrapers in the future. The Shard overtook Canary Wharf as the UK's <laughs> highest tower block <laughs> last year. Thanks, BBC, for that Romeo balanced report. was found dead <laughs> in the street. One day afterwards. I, but the thing is, that's like, Barry's making a lot of assumptions right there as well. Like, this is all a lot of assumptions being made about this fox and its lifestyle choices. Like, what if the fox had previously lived in Canary Wharf? It was just like, right, Yeah, just well, going between the towers. Yeah, like, I wanted to go try the bigger one. <laughs> like, what's wrong with I know you? all about my flaws. I don't need to fly because no. I've got flaws. I've got stories. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you, are you talking about levels of a building? <laughs> or are you talking about character traits? Because both of those words work for both. It's like, yeah. I'm gonna, but anyway, 
follow up with this it story from the evening. It did be standard. in the building is where we've landed up, and I was correct. It do be. Um, <laughs> on a, a fox that was found living at the top of the shard of glass has been released minutes away from the tower, leading to fears that it could return. <laughs> 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 These people will find a fear in it. The fox has just been evicted. It's like, presumably, if they've revoked its security card, it can't yeah. get back in. He won't have it. <laughs> the fox is like, but I'm an accountant, let me... A spokesman for the Shard said, because gates are being constantly opened, it would be quite difficult to make it fox-proof. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. I miss this era of British news. <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is the this biggest is thing we're good, to worry yeah. about. Yeah. Do you remember when a fox cub came in to watch Eurovision? I wasn't there, but was you at. were there and you texted me about it. Yeah, I used the opportunity to eat a lot of hummus while everyone was distracted <laughs> by the baby fox. Was the fox involved in the hummus? These events. <laughs> the fox followed Dan Grill in through the door. <laughs> 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 that makes sense. I know Dangrel, <laughs> no foxes. This this adds up. This story checks out. <laughs> I think that would happen. <laughs> so wait, a, a fox followed Dangrel into a Eurovision party, yeah, and then watched Eurovision. No, uh, it it eventually sort of decamped, I believe, but I can't remember quite how because I was sort of darting between. Oh, oh look, there's a cute fox messaging Chris about the fox, <laughs> being slightly concerned that the fox was in the house, and also eating hummus with my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did the fox enter before your vision started, or during a certain act? I think Dan arrived slightly late, so the fox arrived just after him. <laughs> because he I'm just curious if, like, the fox Slovenia. was after a particular act that Slovenia. they really wanted to see. Oh, I don't know. I was Maybe thinking Latvia. Maybe the fox, like, phoned in. <laughs> it's like, no, I just need to see the number. <laughs> anyway, that's certainly a thing. What was the question? Uh, it was about PC, about PC. Building the graphics, graphics cards. So we didn't miss much. <laughs> like, Buildings like, really like seriously Mies, Mies van der Rohe. There you go. Mies van der Rohe. Like, any of them. Hmm. What? They're all good PC PC buildings. Hmm. Mies van der Rohe buildings. I don't know what those are. They're good. Very boxy. <laughs> okay, I'm getting that. <laughs> good. I feel like we've, we've we've broken some new ground here today. Cool. Because we get quite a lot of questions which are in the format of this happened to me as this happened to you, which is a fine basis for a query, but often we don't have an answer because if it hasn't, it hasn't. But what we've learned is we could just spin off and talk about something yeah, else. This hasn't happened to any of us, but we all had a story about the fox and the shard. <laughs> <laughs> well, fox be in it. A fox be in it, and, and also with you. Um, it be in all our hearts. And, ox, and, and in our understanding. Our next question comes from Kane. Who writes, no. dear Kane? You can't not read it out in that in that voice. Sorry, Chris. Not accepting it if you don't. Sit dear Rosenspranson Guild. Dear I can't do any of the Latin. Gotham is mine. No, that's Bane. Dear Rosenspranson Guildenstern, what is the most autumnal game? Regards, Kane. <laughs> <laughs> That is also Kane's shortest email in the five to six year history yeah, of this podcast. Yeah, that's for Kane. Um, well done, Kane. <laughs> what does Max Payne sound like? Because we could add him it's, to It's that. more like, I mean, Max Payne is more like, like, the city was the colour of a dead horse <laughs> rolling down a hill into a ditch. 
Right? <laughs> Max no Payne or Deckard Kane? <laughs> um, what, what was the question? <laughs> what is the most autumnal game? <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I like it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh... <laughs> I wrote a thing on this with that Andy Kelly is, chap for that PC Gamer website. Is Alan Wake quite autumnal? It always looks autumnal in screen. Yeah, on Remedy. Maybe. I don't know. I remember we put um, Night in the Woods. Was in oh, yeah. There. oh, yeah, yeah, that's very explicit. And, uh, Finch, Edith Finch. And, yeah, yeah. and um, uh, Life is Strange. Mm. I haven't played it. No, I'm right. Mm, that is autumnal. You'll have to take my word for it. Would I lie to you, Alex? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that fox, though. <laughs> and then there's that uh, for- Forza Horizon 4, mm. which has That's only quite a quarter good, quite quarter, isn't it? It is only a quarter. A quarter. quarter, quarter. Oh, no. <laughs> Titanfall, obviously. Ooh. Ooh. God, now we get to all the fall games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Fallout. <laughs> yes, Fallout. <laughs> Extremely full. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fall on her. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. I hardly knew her. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not the format if, of that? Yeah, yeah, no. If, um, yeah, God, if you were don't do a Corona expansion called I hardly knew her, then they've really missed the trick. <laughs> Uh, let's see what other games have good autumn Proteus could kind of generate autumnal yeah. feeling landscapes mm. pretty good Skyrim's pretty quite good. autumnal maybe it just came out in autumn so I associated with it yeah no I had some I felt like Riften was a good yeah. autumnal region in that game mm. Mm. I appreciate autumn more than I ever did nice, <laughs> I thought you were saying more than you <laughs> more than you fuckers <laughs> As I head into my autumn, the autumn of my life. Oh God, oh, Jesus, <laughs> this is really dark. Uh, I had this. No, because I used to be all like, oh, summer, yeah, yeah, like easy to love summer, yeah, love summer. <laughs> I used to be. Dis- I remember you the moment. Hear what Alex sounds like oh he's not doing the, God, the voice he does for podcast. Seasonal hipster. <laughs> like, everyone loves like, that. It's easy to I love liked summer. autumn before I'm it was really cool. Into no, no, that's how I was. That's how I was. <laughs> yeah, that's when it was saying. hot. <laughs> but it's funny. Are you, I there was that moment, that day, when you suddenly realise that, ah, oh, fuck, the, the season changed. I used to feel sad about it, I and I don't this. anymore. I love it. I love it. So, I hate yeah. one. I think two. that it's a it's a growth in me. I think. But, oh. <laughs> 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 you I looked at Alex. <laughs> Could be the fall of your life. Oof. <laughs> oh God! I was seeing a bunch of people, uh, some friends of mine who were really depressed by winter, and I remember also in the past being depressed by winter, and you know just being tired all the time, and and thinking like, oh yeah, like I actually not feeling like this year, and like, God, I need a nap though. <laughs> <laughs> I feel positive about this whole thing. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. But also, I really want to go to sleep. Like, right now. So I feel about a lot of things. I think um, with, the, uh, with the autumn thing, I had a very similar thing to you, Alex. Although pretty much everyone I know seems to think that autumn is their favourite season. But my my version of it was, I really like hydrangeas this year <laughs> right no <laughs> and i i sort of i i used to think that they were just like these blousy annoying flowers that everyone seemed to have and that looked really sort of you know over very quickly 
And then this year I found myself being like, maybe I appreciate them more because I've accepted that we'll all die. (laughs) (laughs) So the fact that they sort of like have this glorious kind of multicolored death spiral and the way that they decay is so spectacular and and beautiful. And I sort of got a bit obsessed with it was probably because I am coming to terms with my own. Well, that's the, that's the whole, like, the whole cherry blossom thing that is so fucking brief. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to be winter. <laughs> I don't know. Can't you experience the transient beauty of a snowman? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I say this because you don't have children and therefore you don't have to enjoy the fucking snowman with your children all the time every year. And they either want one or they make one and you make them, they make you either make it with them. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> you could like get them to make other things in the snow. Snow yeah. cat. Do it's you so want cold. to get a day job? <laughs> <laughs> well, literally, yeah. Normally this is happening at like four o'clock on a, like a Tuesday afternoon. The one day it's, 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 it's like snowing and I have shit to do. I'm not going to make a fucking snow tortoise or a snow hydrangea. <laughs> Could you not snow just, fox. are they not of an age where they can do it themselves? Yeah, but they want the, oh, look, look. They want the approval. <laughs> look, daddy. Fuck's sake, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like that really. Yeah, you are though. <laughs> you never approve of me when I ask you to. <laughs> when you make a snowman I made like eight snowmans over the course of this podcast and you were like uh, uh, <laughs> Let <them> melt. <laughs> Did you do your kids ever try and put them in the freezer? No. Oh, because how big is your freezer? Yeah, how big is your freezer? <laughs> well, no, but like you sort of keep. Have you never tried to keep snowballs or like icicles? All right. Things? Oh, we won't let them because because you don't like joy. We've established yet because there's food in there and there's shit outside with all the fucking snow in it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Somebody didn't have to parent in the eighties when there was nothing to do when people hadn't discovered filth. <laughs> My mother used to just think that if it hadn't killed us, we'd be fine. Like, she would just sort of hack the mouldy bits off bread and cheese and we would have to eat that. This is basically not even really hack them off. Just like, actually, if it hasn't killed you, it's making you stronger. It was basically (laughs) eat around it and you're like, I mean, (laughs) I'm fairly sure that we can afford non mouldy cheese. Yeah. And yet, here we are. (laughs) Oh, that sounds bleak, doesn't it? Okay. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, <laughs> our next question comes from uh, Noel, who writes, Hello all. The last time I watched Elementary Season 5, Episode 14, shamefully entitled Wrecked in Real Life. <laughs> I've seen oh, this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I sent a question about what the video game that featured in the episode might be about. I happen to be watching the episode again, and I'm inspired to ask another question. What is the worst representation of a video game? In TV or film. Cheers. No. So this, uh, if you oh. haven't seen it, is the episode of Elementary that is about esports. It's not though, is it? It's not. Because like- every, every, every episode of Elementary is about big something, like oh. big industry, like big oil, big, you know, 
vegetables. Bees. Big, big bees. Big bees is a thing. Actually, he's really into bees. I think this one is about big games. What, do you want to give it away? No, I don't want to give it away. It's it's not about the thing you think it is. No. Um, uh, but yes. But uh, they do actually like represent an esports house. They do. They 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 have a a good old stab at doing it semi right. It's just that's a really interesting thing that like you know it's true it exists and you can (laughs) you could show it and you wouldn't need to sugarcoat it or or change it in any way to make it a totally bizarre and fascinating thing to the mainstream audience, right? Hmm. Yeah, esports house where like people just wake up and fucking play counter-strike or starcraft or whatever like the thing that makes hours a day the thing that makes it so unbearable when u.s cop shows do this is not really necessarily just presentation of the game because i get that often there are probably licensing things and they do just want to use a cgi dodgy mock-up of a fake game it's always whichever character they have to deputize to suddenly reveal that they're a gamer in the yeah. episode so someone can do the exposition. <laughs> so someone can be like, oh, you're into this stuff? And they're like, yeah, well, you see, they're a cyber athlete and they uh, they go by the name Super Shocks. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, like, there's just so much awkward, like, leet speak or, you yeah, know, like, yeah. really sort of gamery tropes just to, like, really remind people or signify. It actually did that less egregiously in some ways than other Yeah, stuff. I think it's better than some. Yeah, so- what was the... Uh, was the really egregious one, the mentalist, where like somebody was like literally using a PlayStation controller to access the secret memory of the PlayStation that the dead person had, had hidden. Yeah. It, it's like know. famous for being the worst of a very large set of very, very bad representations of video games. There was an amazing one in, um, in what's that guy's name with the boat? <laughs> <laughs> The the Richard, show about Richard, the boat with the uh, Robert Maxwell. No, that no no. That he's a murderer. Fictional he's like show? a murderer who's also friends. Yes, there thank you. you. Anyway, so he um, man, like the one identifying feature of Dexter is that he has a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I got it when he got into he's a murderer and also an investigator. <laughs> but the man with, with a boat, a boat, he does have a boat. <laughs> That's his whole thing, though, isn't it? He no, that's no. not his whole thing. Because the two, two series things, I watched, he things. didn't have a boat. I'm pretty sure he didn't. I don't remember he does a, boat. Have a boat. He, he has does. a boat. What, even in the earliest? Yeah, he does have the bodies. It's true uh, of him. It's just not one of his two things. I vaguely remember that. I don't remember like any saying, other serial killers oh, you know having a boat. We know, the one with the house. It's <laughs> bricks and windows. The guy fries eggs for breakfast. He's also a murderer and he's a criminal investigation, but he also he fries eggs. Look, if I'd said he was a murderer, that wouldn't. Have narrowed it. Yes, it would. Oh. <laughs> it was a murderer, well, like, police officer. Oh, yes, I thought we that we've it. been talking about police procedurals. We so I thought that this yeah, was but like another. The one where the main character is a murderer would narrow it down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I suppose it would. Did you get the one where the one where it's uh, a mentalist. <laughs> what are you the watching lately, Pip? I watched a show about a guy with a boat. <laughs> Oh yeah, cool. I like boats. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like this. Sure, yeah. <laughs> people just like cutting other people's throats and taking samples of their blood and strapping them down with like tape. <laughs> well, but, but the boat is the constant. <laughs> no, Dexter's the constant. <laughs> it's a nice so night, and it's going to happen again. I'm going to take my boat out in the marina. <laughs> I love that show. This one owner of this boat. <laughs> anyway, one period what, does boat with, what, did, what does he do with what does he do with games? So, in one of the series, his sister 
maybe yep. is dating a woman, a man who is. <laughs> Look, <laughs> my memory of this is starting to get a bit hazy, I feel. I'm being very judged. Um, but uh, the guy that she is dating turns out to... Uh, he's working on a video game, and that's how he says that he needs to embed with the police, is to get, like, a sense of who they are and, like, to see how it works in relation to video games or something, I think. And then at some point he shows, like, the video game and it's just the worst, like, little 3D <laughs> rendering of a man in a fedora <laughs> wandering around. It's so That's bad. no way to talk about gunpoint. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> Look, gunpoint is the best rendering of a man in a fedora. I'll have you know. <laughs> Yours was only two dimensions. <laughs> this guy, third dimension all over the place. <laughs> yeah, and he has a boat. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. My genuine least favourite video game episode of an American show is Veronica Mars. First, mm. that is just really sort of icky I can't grim. remember it off the top of my head it's the one where she has to go to like the, the, the cool gamer arcade oh and yeah for inexplicable reason she dresses up as like a Japanese school girl yeah because it's kind of what she has to do to be in that environment and it's super gross mm. and that's yeah. a show that's otherwise kind of about that so that's kind of shit that they just Man. Fucked it up for an episode. Yeah, that does suck. Um, it's really nice though, it's just reminded me that it's really nice that Kristen Bell is still on my screen and like an awesome character who I really like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, um. In the good place. That's the, yeah, that exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's the linking thread back from Snowman. That could have been the segue. Who knows? Um, but yeah, um. She, um, I think her daughter made her dress up as, um, as Elsa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as Elsa. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had to dress up as Elsa for Halloween, I think. Even she is not immune. <laughs> That's very good. Any other- Just imagine though, if you were Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done that, I believe in you. Uh, any other really bad instances of video games in movies or vice versa? Or I mean, they're kind of constant, aren't they? Yeah, but like, just good. a low level, not very good, but, uh, right? Something like I'm curious about is like, could you, uh, if you're just writing like, you know, uh, Veronica Mars or whatever, and you wanted to show a video game developer and you wanted to show them developing a video game, could you just literally talk to a video game developer who is making a video game and say, hey, would you like to be on fucking TV? <laughs> and we'll just literally show your actual game and we'll be beyond reproach. There will be no, you know, we cannot be humiliated by this. This is literally... I don't video. think it's impossible to be humiliated by that. <laughs> The, the humiliation is always like, they're just grossly out of touch with what video games actually are, like, on the most basic level, and... Sure, but do you not accept that, like, picking which developer which game is just a huge lottery? <laughs> I, like, you could pick a game that turns out to be bad eventually, but it would still be a video game. Like, right, the, yeah. that's the standard that they're failing to meet right now. Okay, it's yeah. like, this is not even a video, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Like, the person's using a PlayStation controller to, like, enter a password or, like... 
well or you know things like doing that thing where they're they're flinging the controller wildly from side to side to to simulate a very basic input of a thing and like you know the the to show the sheer excitement but also to to, like you 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 have a lot of episodes of things where you show somebody being completely not understanding what the whole thing is about and then like a screen wipe later you've got this same person you know covered in cheeto dust with a headset on (laughs) shouting at somebody to flank left or you know whatever and you know throwing the controller hither and yon uh and yeah i'm curious actually about uh halt and catch fire which is a Mm. series about like the early days of computing uh the first season is basically about just like making a kind of laptop i think like Uh, a pc it's like a it's an ibm compatible pc yeah are you sure it's not a building (laughs) uh pcs were not cool back then uh whereas they are now (laughs) (laughs) as the rap on the the (laughs) crate had to jump in there before i asked it maybe Uh, this is why they don't ask game developers (laughs) for their extra realism (laughs) but season two is about like an indie game developer basically or a very early game developer early enough that it's basically what they're making is what we would now call an indie game and they they're very specific about what games they're making and how they worked and to the point where like you know a character will play the game that the other characters are making and say oh this has a technical flaw that i think i can fix because i'm a programmer and i can go in and fix this and it turns out to to be bullshit (laughs) but the games they make i'm really curious of like whether those are things that really existed or whether yeah mm. i think to an extent yeah like there was like a versus uh, tank game super super early networked like sort of games running yeah. on C64s and stuff. And so, like, the, the, the main programmer character who was kind of out of work at that time, the the other characters made this, like, versus tank game that was online and was going through modems and all the shit. Um, and he plays it and he loses because of lag. Like, he technically pressed the fire button before the other guy pressed the fire button, but he died because the signal was sent later. And I really want to know, like, is that a like is that specific game did that exist or mm. is this just like an, an analogy for games that do this yeah. that show in general is, is very good at like the tech stuff is very authentic and yeah. makes sense but not so good on the drama side <laughs> <laughs> i want to uh, also give a shout out to my particular favorite form of hating to see games on tv which is not in the context of fiction it's whenever there's like a reality tv show that visits someone who or spends time with someone or tries to like frame the life of somebody who does play games and it is watching the awkward b-roll they had to film of them enjoying their hobby as if the camera crew wasn't there <laughs> that gives me all of uh, the entire fear um there's an example of this i think in the second season of queer eye where they oh, visit yeah. a guy and there's just a shot of him and he's obviously extremely self-conscious about being filmed quite close up by a camera crew as he plays like call of duty online with his mates or something and it's not necessarily like a judgmental thing in, in the filming of it. Um, you know, but it's obviously staged that like, Hey, you know, and I, I can think about all of the process that leads up to that. Like, Hey, we'd like to get some shots of you playing a game. Can you just sort of play a game, play a game? We'll film. Don't worry about it. Just be normal. Just be normal. And, <laughs> and, and there is no way of doing that in that moment, really. Like, and it's just, yeah, um, profoundly, profoundly unsettling to me personally. <laughs> mm. You can feel it. You can be there. <laughs> if if no one else has any other suggestions of mortifyingly bad games in film then I'm afraid we've reached the end of questions from questions 
That is all of the questions we have time for this week. <laughs> But there will be more weeks. <laughs> Very, likely. So. Very likely. Very <laughs> likely. Yeah, but there'll be winter and you'll be sad. Tom mm. will be napping. Be bad weeks. <laughs> Happily napping. <laughs> If... Happen. No. <laughs> God. <laughs> If... Is that what that Mark Wahlberg film is about? <laughs> is that a film? The Happening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The Happy Nappening. <laughs> With Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> if, if, Doesn't anybody care about the bees? <laughs> napping. Big bee. We could be napping. Why aren't we napping? Tom's <laughs> Mark Wahlberg impression. That if you, That's what it sounds like, I think. As far as I know. I haven't tonight, seen the happening. Tonight's show has been Deckard Kane impersonation. Deckard Kane. Is that not his name? It is, but it's just a, the emphasis. No pronunciation passes Dec Chris's <laughs> Sorry. filters. How do you say? I let you Dec get away with the Deckard earlier. Deckard or Deckard. Deckard Kane. Deckard. Deckard. Jean-Luc Deckard. Jean-Luc Deckard. Engage. Um, <laughs> stay a while and engage. <laughs> just stuffing things into a Borg cube. <laughs> uh, what the... Fuck, am I talking about? If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us a questions in creatingcrowbar.com. Don't forget, we also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash creatingcrowbar. We have a lovely Discord community. You can find the link to our Discord on our website at creatingcrowbar.com. Uh, we have a uh, Twitter account, which is at creatingcrowbar. I'm doing this all ass backwards this week. And as ever, thank you very much to our Patreon backers. You can find out more about supporting the podcast and its spin-offs at patreon.com forward slash. There's a fox in it. <laughs> <laughs> It's great and crowbar, isn't it? <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> I mean, if there is a fox in it, maybe don't sponsor that. It wasn't, it wasn't there's a fox in it. Fox be in it. Socks, fox be in it. <laughs> didn't there be a fox? <laughs> didn't, didn't there, there be a fox, be a fox in be in it? <laughs> Didn't there be a fox in it? And yes. <laughs> and yes, the answer was. And also with you. Uh, <laughs> may the fox be in you. <laughs> oh, God. May there did there I be a fox in you. I have to cut so much of this. May the fox be in your revision. <laughs> there we go. Oh, God. If you'd like to follow oh, any of us as uh, individuals... Probably you not. You can do so. Probably not, but if you'd like to, it's at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. They were expressing strong preferences after this episode. I, Tom, I'm Matt Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-C-D. I am rotational, R-O-T-A-T-I-O-A-N-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-
<laughs> a like, big no, R. No. Like, so I think they think it's a W. But anyway, so a I got w. out of the habit of saying that, but then that meant that my brain panicked just then. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like I'm like Alex and don't know how to spell. <laughs> <laughs> Not that bad. <laughs> I just thought I would try and help and then became paralyzed by choice. You didn't. No, you did. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. They're not uh, even uh, here anymore. I, uh, and I feel like we have to do it again. Oh. The whole podcast, I mean. Oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Episode 163, I'm going to say. It's it's the 20-something of November. 21st, I know that one. <laughs> out uh i feel like artifact is going to come up then there'll be some stuff about some warhammer game whose name i've already forgotten slay the spire oh, is going to about hitman and that's gonna be the highlight <laughs> is this your mark Wahlberg also here. i don't know what she's going to talk about hi i'm a wild card you'll never know until it starts too many foxes in the shard for some reason <laughs> so stay a while <laughs> go away <laughs> please leave <laughs> it's been too long do the thanks for listening as Deckard came <laughs> thanks for listening thanks everybody for <laughs> 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 <laughs>